Welcome to Oranges and Lemons. Hello. Good to be with you. It's Bird, here to steer you into the latest installment of the Oranges and Lemons podcast. Sorry we've been away so long. We've missed you. Hopefully you've missed us. We are back at work and have renewed our commitment, just like a couple trying to save their marriage. But a ceremony is not going to do it, people. Um, I don't know what the hell would. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. Um, sorry it's been so long. Uh, won't get into the reasons why, because they're, they're boring. But uh, we are ready to provide you with some more... God, I hate this word. Content. Ugh. Okay, I won't say it again, I promise. Um but also, we are going to attempt to promote this thing because we stink at it and we just don't do it. And um, we want to grow the thing. We don't make any money off it now. We just do it because we enjoy it and really get a lot out of it. And hopefully, some of you do too. Hopefully, you pull something away. And if you are pulling something away... Or you just want to trash us and tell us that we are very dumb, please uh, send us an email at orangesandlemonspodcast at gmail.com. I know that email is not the ideal tool anymore. Uh, the word antiquated has been used to describe email, at least, I don't, I don't know, maybe in terms of podcasts, whatever. The point is, we're, we're going to get an Instagram up and running. Be on the lookout for that. We will plug that on the episode after we get it going. Uh, okay, enough of that crap. On to today's book discussion. We are discussing discussing Shame by Salman Rushdie. Both the novel and, of course, the theme, the idea of shame uh, is one of the thrusts of his book and our discussion. Um... We don't offer you much in the way of a summary here, so I'll give you something to go on at least. It was a 1983 publication. It falls into the category of magical realism, which comes up as a, a small point of discussion in the episode. I would say that in addition to what's pointed to in the title, the idea of shame and shamelessness, and their interplay, and the violence that results from it. Partition is an essential theme of this novel as well, but I don't want to waste too much time holding your hand here. Hopefully you've read it, and if not, uh, I think this will offer some uh, inspiration, maybe. Uh, we did try something different with... Our discussion this time, we began with a discussion of a Seinfeld episode that, relevant isn't quite the, the word I would use, but it's uh, related. 
in that the author, Salman Rushdie, is mentioned in the episode, and it's a plot point. Kramer thinks he sees Rushdie at his gym. Uh, and at this point, this was um, during the, I think the episode was either 93 or 94, so it was in the, I don't know if earlier stages, but, you know, three or four years after the fatwa was ordered against Rushdie. And I think at the time he was still um, under heavy guard and in hiding. Um, so anyway, that's the, the context for that little uh, piece. But anyway, um, the episode is The Implant, if I didn't already mention that. Um, yeah, season four, episode 19. We do make a lot of allusions, references to the television program Seinfeld on our show. So uh, we thought maybe we'd just dive all the way in and uh, do a bit of discussion of the episode and then bounce it into a a discussion about the book that we had read. So um, I think we did in a clumsy kind of way find some actual thematic connections between the Seinfeld episode and the novel. Um, but that's not why we did it. We just kind of wanted to loosen things up a little. And uh, I don't know, maybe start off with something a little lighter than um, rather than just diving right in to the heavy shit that we're usually discussing. So maybe it's a bit of a palate cleanser uh, to start you out before we talk about the moral and sexual stultification of a mutilated nation. Um, so there you are. That's war. That's your, your warning, I guess, for, um, what you're going to meet at the beginning of this one. I think it's fun. Let us know if you agree, if you disagree, uh, please, we're begging you <laughs> email us at, Oranges and Lemons podcast at gmail.com. And as I said, be on the lookout for the Instagram. If you want to skip the Seinfeld discussion, there's going to be a timestamp in the description for the beginning of the actual book discussion. Uh, we will also have a link, or at least uh, the title and the author, some citation or other of the essay that we discuss. We'll put that in the description. And I think that will do it. I'm going to shut up because I'm verbose as shit on this thing, as always. So, I hope you enjoy our discussion of Shame by Salman Rushdie. And, of course, also Season 4, Episode 19 of Seinfeld, The Implant. What's going on, Greg? Uh, How you feeling? How's the week going for you? A little hectic. We're moving tomorrow. Uh, forget if I mentioned that earlier. Yeah, but did, did oh I, did yeah, I we were gonna move Saturday, but it's the high is like eighteen degrees, and so we're moving tomorrow. The high <laughs> is twenty eight. Uh. <laughs> moving in the cold, man. You hate to do it. You hate to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, oof, not a great thing. But moving is one of those things that's kind of an equalizer. I mean, unless you have enough money to have someone do everything for you but it's still just the uh it kind of it's just shit you gotta do and it's 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 a chore but you know it's not a big deal i tend to try to fight against 
the um i don't know kind of it, it there's something about moving that fits into the uh sort of frail uh, american um uh posture where it's i'm i'm so stressed out with moving it just makes me so stressed it's like just why stop stop yeah. i mean I, it, it it's one of the uh i sound like a uh stereotypical not in touch with my feelings man but on this one i'm just like stop feeling that way <laughs> what are you doing to yourself you have to do it just engage and get the task done yeah i mean i don't think it'll be too bad we we are going from the first to the third floor so that'll kind of suck uh i don't remember i don't remember i'm trying to wait you're just you're same building uh no no right down the street though uh oh okay oh that's not too bad but i mean it's not it's not so we Um, do have to load you know we'll load a truck and stuff but yeah you gotta load but at least you don't have a drive that's long or yeah yeah, and then the the carrying up is no good do you do you have yeah, we um, can go back and forth all day if we need to it's, it's saturday i was gonna uh maybe offer my assistance but i work and then i have i got too much school to do but um uh tomorrow tomorrow actually We're oh tomorrow okay well but same thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, for you. Uh, yeah <laughs> I love being in school full time. It's an easy excuse for anything. It's like having a kid. <laughs> or like having this podcast. It's my baby. I think I what did I um I I sent um in my sorry, last thing and then we'll get to the implant, but I sent in my U of I friends thread a uh one of our friends Dana had like the last text in the thread was from a while ago, months ago. But it was uh, congratulations for her her baby shower and her, her pregnancy and everything. Oh, <laughs> so and I what I wanted I just wanted I shared the pod with the group and I almost put in there like I'm offering you the closest thing that I have to a child. <laughs> but I I was like that's just just a little much. <laughs> I was like I'm not yeah. gonna fucking do it. <laughs> so I'm glad I had some kind of restraint. I've, uh, yeah, I've had a hard time promoting it (laughs) mm. thus far. I don't know why. It's just like it feels weird when for me to share it. I need to like get over that at some point, uh, because sooner or later, people I know have to hear that I'm doing it. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, it's it's almost. um, I don't know. It's also rather. and this might be a mistake to think this way, but I think we're, we have a better chance of getting support and a following from, pe- from strangers, from people who don't know us. It's just kind of natural for the, the things that you love um, that they do for you to not want them to succeed at them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taking that perverse pleasure and uh, the failure, especially something um, like this where, I mean, I, we're almost... It's just the it's what we want to do. It's just the risk you run. We're almost always at risk of 
I don't know, sounding pretentious or self-important or something or, right, you know, um, and, and, and people don't want to be made to feel uh, inadequate or, and, and when you ask somebody what they like to read, that almost inevitably has that result. Uh, <laughs> even if somebody asked me that, you know, I would, I would be like, I, I don't read nearly as much as I should or yeah, um, yeah. whatever. But at least I could have an answer to the question. <laughs> Usually, that's yeah. In fact, that's why we started the pod. I just want to have an answer when people say, "What have you been reading lately?" <laughs> and why we choose the books we do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we dress to impress. I read *Crime and Punishment*. What are you reading it? Yeah. How do you eat it with your hands? Uh, <laughs> also, I I, uh, I was trying to, th- I couldn't remember any of the lines from. Uh, when Keith Hernandez is, uh, or Jerry's going to help Keith Hernandez move. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like going all the way. The <laughs> Stairs. <Yeah. laughs> I can't do it. It's too soon in the relationship. <laughs> Keith <like> Hernandez. <laughs> uh. Sal Bass. Um, Sal yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, here we go. I've got my... Okay, so, the implant. I thought his opening bit was pretty weak. The the health club. It's like, we have a lot of people stealing exercise. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, and what happens if you catch them? They run. They get aerobic exercise. I, I don't know. It was just a little... Um, it just didn't seem quite fully formed. But... Um, yeah, those, you know, those he, 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 some of them are misses. Yeah, what season is that in again? Is it season four, four? episode eighteen? Okay, yeah, I I feel like right around that time, some of those opening bits are still a little awkward. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, do you think the show's better when they phased those out and started going with their intros well, in the later seasons? When they did phase them out, that was when the whole tone of the show changed. So I don't know if I could um, yeah, judge it in that true. way, but I, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I think they work. I don't need them, but they they just it it works on a charm level for the yeah. kind of almost the '90s nostalgia of the show as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought he. I thought I think the. Uh, I always laugh really hard at the cigarette mime in the hell. I was like, good workout. Tremendous workout. <sighs> and he stomps on it. <laughs> that one always cracked me up. But um, the conversation between Jerry and Elaine when they're talking about sex and the initiation of it. Like, George is a le- or I'm a lefty. Can't go right. When they were talking about, and then it's like, <laughs> yeah. what what do women do? Do they go left or right? And she says, we just play defense. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a perfect description, I think, of kind of the sexual dynamic that's at play in at least American culture, the way we understand. Yeah. I mean, that 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 or I mean, it's, it's just a, uh, a more um, it's just a harsher version of that in a place like Pakistan, but um, <laughs> that yeah, we're the initiators and. That's just that's just the way it is. That's how biology made us, right? And I I totally forgot that 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 it was that episode until I watched it with the 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 double dipping and uh, <laughs> yeah. the bereavement uh, mm. discount. 
it's a great George episode. Fantastic George <laughs> episode. Yeah. yeah, I would say he he definitely carries the carries the up. Did was that a Seinfeld coined phrase? Double dip. I it was if um if it wasn't coined, it was certainly reified by Seinfeld. Okay. I think, and and brought into you know sort of made uh, as part of the lexicon. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so many of those things where I watch, yeah. I watch them now, and I'm just I I don't have the context of the time. Re-gifter, but they say so many you know. of those terms, you know, uh, as if they're new, like regifter, um, yeah. shrinkage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Um, low talker, close talker. Low He's got the Jimmy legs. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's not really one. That's just a goofy one. But um, the Jimmy legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can get that in your arms, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought the sort of that go left, grow right, kind of not only with regard to the initiation of each sex, but how it, it's not just women that need. Uh, the environment to be aligned in their favor. You know, men need some kind of, there's a comfort obviously to a lesser degree, but yeah, there's a comfort that we need too sexually that, um, mm-hmm. you know, like they just like they, 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 they paint it as if I'm on the other side, there's just nothing I can do. <laughs> it's <laughs> what's to be done. You know, and I mean, it was almost a little, it's so George because it's not, um, it's not sexual aggression, but when he moves her over on the couch, you're like, fuck, like, I, I don't know. That's just a little, not violent, but you know what I'm saying? You're like, that's not cool, man. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I mean, and not to be like all queefy and wokey, but yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, and then the whole thing is, isn't this, was that so bad? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Looking fantastic, uh, uh, forceful. Uh, yeah, it's it's a practical thing, you know, not sexual. But um, oh yeah, and then when she's on the phone with um, her, you know, her family member that's telling her about the death, and he's in the background, like doing the the, the miming and the. Oh, I sure. love it. <laughs> yes, okay, and and he's um just so obviously disconnected from you know the most basic human emotions um and and then his i mean it's it's peak george it's a depiction of his shamelessness right yeah i mean and not to stray away from that episode specifically but yeah i was watching i watched a few episodes from season nine today and i mean really with every season they just get more and more shameless i mean yeah the beginning of season nine is him taking that job uh getting that job because they think he's ha- george <laughs> yeah. getting that job because he th- they think he's handicapped and then when they discover that he's uh that that it's all fake he continues <laughs> shamelessly. yeah it is it's a pure it's a purity of, of shamelessness kind of that he yeah. really doesn't have the capacity for i mean he it, you know in certain cases you you could say he does i mean it, it it's um when he but it, but it's not a 
I think shame might be different from embarrassment. Um, yeah. But it is a humiliation. But yeah, like when he gets robbed um, on the subway episode, you know, right. that's like a shameful. But but it's not. It's it's just embarrassing because he was a fool, not because he, um, because of a uh, you know he transgressed. Right, um, right. He's taken advantage of it in, in, in that case. So kind of his own. I mean, obviously she's pretty fucking shameless. So it, it was sort of turned back on him in that case. Yeah. <laughs> also, also at the be- uh, in season nine, Elaine and Putty. She just keeps going back to Putty and eventually <laughs> yeah. just resigns. To the, uh, like I, I forget which episode it was, but I watched I watched one where she's I don't know. It comes up that she's back together. Uh, with putty yeah. and she's just like his apartment was being fumigated so we figured we'd give it another shot yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. there's any any pretext any disturbance <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> all right let's see what else uh oh okay um so the the kind of the uh obviously the title of the episode i think the yeah george carries it but sort of the main plot is uh the breast implants and jerry's struggle with that which is right so odd i actually do have some experience with fake breasts um (laughs) my only girl that i saw for any length of time had them and it it was it almost when when elaine says just when i think you can't get any shallower you manage to drain a little more out of the pool (laughs) I, i thought that there was kind of grounds for some argument there because i think the a truly shallow position, a deeply shallow position, if you will, um, would be to not care at all what, and just, she's a woman, I'm going to fuck her regardless, you know, to, to have no, but but it, is, is it because it's concern for a, an aspect of a woman's physical beauty? I mean, he, 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 he likens it to fraud, essentially, that he, you know, he'd be deceived, you know, it's like Mickey Mantle Corkin is bad. Um, yeah, it, but but it's, it's I because I, I, I think he he gets to the crux of when he says, "I don't care if you have a phony personality, but I got to draw the line somewhere." Right, <laughs> and yeah, I was I, trying to remember that line. Yeah, there's there's a que- there's just a lot of questions there. I, I don't know exactly. And then and then when it, it made me think of sort of the way he thinks about ethics when Elaine references that he likes Superman, he almost has a sort of childlike. Um, very superficial ethical construction. It's it's um, it's Kramer throughout the series that is is the one who has a deeper understanding of the human spirit and is has redeemable qualities. Um, right, which, but which is interesting. Portrayed or referred to as the most base and shameless. Of yeah, the lot. yeah. When really he's the one who. I mean, he says, um, you know, Jerry, if I murdered someone, would you turn me in? Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which, which is interesting because in this episode, Kramer is uh, in alignment with George with his little scheme, you know, pretty much just along for the ride in the shameless. He's a, he right, does yeah. a grift, you know, he's playing a character of the bereaved um, nephew or son or whatever. <laughs> when he just snaps up, so you need my frequent flyer number. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about kind of the... Uh, what it says about a person, or do you, if you think it says anything about somebody who gets fake breaths, I, I for one, I liked the the feel of them and the, <laughs> the way they their function. 
but it was the and fashion i suppose and the look but the i never quite escaped the the idea maybe not of a uh that i was being deceived in some way of course i mean it was there from it was up front from the beginning but that i i do think less of this woman for having um rejected her body to the degree that you needed to augment it in that way it's almost like even though it's an augmentation something is lost Hmm. yeah what do you what do you think it's partition what does that it's partition it doesn't fit but i (laughs) (laughs) something is lost Um, if something is if something is lost in translation something's also gained (laughs) hey that's enough of a connection to the book for us to leave this in yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh man hmm yeah i i guess i just i don't i don't get the well i i I can't see a purpose to doing that that isn't or i don't know that's admirable like motivation <laughs> for doing that that's admirable wow i mean like i don't yeah, know yeah i like I'm not, that. not saying that it's like the worst thing a person can do but i don't know like that uh, seems like a reaction right it seems like a the ultimate kind of what i was talking about before with the haircut it seems like a reaction from the outside for how how you want to be viewed by others not how you want to view yourself i mean that that's the defense that comes up that that my uh previous paramour gave was that um it's you know it's for me it's it's so i can feel good about myself but to me it's it's very difficult to assert that without escaping a vision of yourself as others see you yeah right i don't know beauty always fades too mhm uh like it i mean we all <laughs> or we sex, all want to look as the good, case and i think be. i think like i mean it, i guess may, i'm trying to think of how it would be different from me looking in the mirror and thinking, geez, I, I don't like how I look. I, I really need to get back in the gym or something. But yeah, I mean, see, I, that's I very there's different. part of me that's like, well, it's earned in that sense. There's a, there's some self-mastery. Uh, but And when I do that, is it just the fact that I think I don't look good that I want to do it? I don't I don't think it's solely, solely that. Yeah, I... You have been looking like you put on a couple pounds there. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can say that because um, I lost some. <laughs> yeah, right? How much did this did all that hair weigh? <laughs> I fuck, I don't know. It it was a uh, emotional weight was incalculable. <laughs> uh I don't know. I'm struggling to find anything interesting to say about. <laughs> okay, no, no problem. I, yeah, I I guess I wouldn't think you'd have um <laughs> if you pardon the pun, make contact with this question. <laughs> yeah. Really. Um. <laughs> it's true. I haven't. I th- feel like I had another point. Let me see if I can dig it back up. I think we can relate his, I think we can re- relate Jerry's question somehow, at least to shame, or at least to um, kind of the battle of the sexes when he talks about, I don't mind a phony personality, but I got to draw the line somewhere. Okay. Yeah. I remember what I thought about this. It was that, that that's ultimately sorry but that's what we care about is fund- fundamentally you know obviously it doesn't you blah 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 love you can evolve and become uh, symbiotic and mutually supportive companions and 
you know, all that bullshit, but he he's saying deception or phoniness with regard to what's important to me. You know, I don't that that's where that's where I won't compromise. Yeah. <laughs> I, I what's coming to mind is like what episode is this? Or Jerry's like, well, she does uh possess all of the qualities prized by the superficial man. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, she possesses many of the other qualities. I think it's the switch when uh, he's talking oh, about yes, her. She had this right. beautiful <laughs> laugh, all lilty and feminine. Plus, she possessed many of the other qualities prized by the superficial man. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the strong course, huh? Oh, the loud course, Yeah. yeah the, I hate the, the loud course, course, huh? <laughs> harsh course, huh? Uh, I think it might be loud course. I think you're right. I think I'm wanting to alliterate harsh and ha but i think it is loud course <laughs> i watched the uh ha ha <laughs> is it the seren- maybe it's the yeah the serenity now today was one of those and uh <laughs> well, jerry's talking to george saying that his her his girlfriend says that J- jerry never gets never shows emotion or gets angry george is like why do you care what she thinks uh <laughs> great body yeah, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I'm also thinking of uh, the Hamptons. She's got a great body, buddy. <laughs> Let's see what else? Uh, what else? What else do I have here? Oh, the yeah, the double dipping thing. Um, how he, how the only like George was fine. He had the death certificate, right? He he asked like whoever it was, the relevant person, he was gonna get it. And then he blew the whole thing up with the double dip because he wanted to stay committed to the double dipping. He, that's where he isn't going to compromise, you know, his autonomy and freedom as it adversely affects the people around him, you know, ostensibly with, with his uh, saliva in the dip. It's like putting your whole mouth right in the dip, in, into the bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Just dip it once and end it. <laughs> It was also kind of, I thought, maybe um, just not the best plot device as implants because, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious and just kind of like the whole Sidra being cagey about it. It's really none of their business when it's just like that. Th- it wouldn't be that much of a secret, you know, I feel like. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then I have I have written down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when George. um. Again, yeah, peak George when he so he doesn't get the death certificate and he has a story for the person working for the airline about the doctor who was supposed to dispense the death certificate also dying. (laughs) (laughs) He suffered an untimely demise. Um, I have a picture of me next to the coffin. Coffin. (laughs) Not even close, was I? (laughs) That's also not the only episode where. I guess it's almost like the reverse situation in what's the episode called where Jerry and Elaine are on the plane? Uh, I think it's just the airport when Kramer wants to buy a ticket and no George pays for it then too to get the frequent flyer miles. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. another airline <laughs> ticket, or, you know, airline ticket scheme. You got non-refundable uh, tickets. <laughs> scheme yeah it is a scheme it's always got that's one of my favorite episodes Uh, yeah that's a great one (laughs) gotta run like a man get your knees up (laughs) get your knees up (laughs) kramer sliding out of the baggage claim (laughs) (laughs) right 
<laughs> JFK, Honolulu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's an interesting. That, that's almost a. Um, I feel like that's a that's a Larry David insertion asking what he gets for a tip, right? But it's it's one of the more wholesome sort of like just honest like hey you know what I I don't really know what to do like if I, I'm being honest with you I trust you to be honest with me about how the tipping thing works you know I, I kind of like that and then Elaine just doubting him that's why he's like fuck you bitch <laughs> yeah that that Elaine's reaction f- almost feels from the limited amount I've seen the show like something something out of curb yeah. Like Larry calling BS on what the guy tells him, and then yeah, the guy you know getting back at him in some way because of it. <laughs> yeah. And do you think? I mean, I know you know it's George is kind of the analog of of Larry David. Yeah, I mean, he's the, uh, the I would say surrogate, maybe surrogate. Yeah, but I feel like he comes out in a lot of the characters at, at different sure. places. Yeah, well, yeah, the just the tone of the whole thing is is right. So Larry David, but um yeah, I think I already talked about this to you or mentioned it to you, but yeah, when they when Joe and Mark do the Yeah, we did talk about this, never mind. I, I won't. But yeah, when they do the uh uh beloved ant season 1 episode 8 of Curb, um again, their their breakdown of the Jimmy was just fabulous, but um Yeah. Uh, yeah, the the beloved aunt is fantastic too, and they just talk about all the genius, just little comedic moments that are so, so Larry and so pure comedy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it now, but um, I think uh, yeah, I think that's all I got on um, the implant. Although I guess I I would maybe use it to go for a slingshot into shame here and say that um it, Jerry's prioritization is kind of a euphemism. Jerry's kind of chief concern, his only concern of the um the sexuality, the physical appearance. You you could even assert it maybe as the objectification of the woman that he's seeing uh at least raises the question about uh, masculinity, femininity, femininity, even feminism. Um, what what the fight is now? What Rushdie is saying about it, about the position of women in Pakistan, and how the 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 tone of not the tone, the subject of the essay, the dialectic of shame and shameless. There is it just the dialectic of shame, and I, I I'm. Oh, fuck we'll cut this out but i, I just want to sorry i just want to get the, the mm-hmm. writer the writer um correct here uh i the the idea of like co- cosmetic surgery and or you know ooh yeah uh, what do you got uh, uh, like to that ex- to that degree uh does make me it does make me think of uh well yeah you know i think you referenced it earlier um Naveed and Arjumand, but particularly Naveed, you know, desperately trying to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, th- I guess I think to some extent we, people wouldn't do that 
I mean, nothing is done in isolation, so somebody can say that they got enhancements just for themselves, but would they do it if we didn't value, like, if we didn't value that physical, we didn't value physical beauty, and so, I don't know. Um, I think, I mean, well, it's also a, uh, I could turn it back on myself and say any, I mean, growing the hair out could have been this, cutting it off could have been this, just all yeah. attempts to try and attract the fairer sex um yeah i mean that's uh that's a sort of a uh what would you call it a historical maybe an anthropological argument that the entire human project is just an elaborate mating ritual is <laughs> done right. to yeah. um you know what we need to do to impress and propagate the species um right. i find that to be a little reductionist, but <laughs> a little boring, but um, it's, it's, uh, and it's just too, uh, I don't know, maybe Freudian, just a little, how you just, everything is sex. In a way, I mean, there, there's some, uh, I don't want to use the word truth too uh, liberally here, but some, some truth to that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I don't, I also don't want to go so far and make it seem like that it's wrong of us to, value physical beauty i don't really know how to answer that question in terms of like i think we can clearly give examples many examples of us taking that or us valuing that too highly in (laughs) in really in western i've never seen it (laughs) yeah but uh you know i don't want to say that like it's wrong or immoral for us to value it at all i don't i don't really know like how much we should yeah there's well well beauty and it's a to to say it would just be uh incorrect to say that we that there would ever be any hope for us to not value it at all so there's that it's it's a it's a denial of our nature um and a i think you could you could almost or it's either of a piece with it's either out around or inside of sexual repression that mm. that which is witnessed in this novel as well um mm. the the preoccupation with um the pharisee i mean the think about the idea of the burqa it's right. to it's it's to put all of the responsibility and the shame for men's sexual um proclivities and crimes onto women all, all all the burden on them and say you know you need to be sequestered covered up negated that i might that that the man um might move through society freely without being tempted by your evil demonic hips and breasts right and i mean Argemond is even though she doesn't uh it doesn't seem like she wears traditional islamic garb Mm-mm. uh she's kind of the embodiment of that in, in that she's ashamed of her beauty because she wants to be a man i mean right. that, that's mm-hmm. because uh, because of the effect that it has it on, simply as possible but yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i guess maybe if i could distill my pro or i don't know like the <laughs> my like intuitive problem with implants would be <laughs> That it just feels too, like that specifically, since that's what we were talking about. I feel like I said I don't think it's admirable, but couldn't say why. Yeah. Maybe it's just that it feels too 
exclusively physical. Like it's it's so directly sexual. I mean, it's the right. augmentation of organs that are well designed to rear children, but also have become. I think we're the only species that uh, um, has an attraction to. Well, I mean, we're the only species that does all kinds of sexual shit. But um, I, I'm 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 misspeaking here. The human breasts are far bigger than any of the other any of the great apes, or and and they're the I think just sort of the this is a, I'm just pulling up random bits of evolutionary biology here, but that that could only have occurred if there was some kind of selection for and not necessarily for. Um, I think that, that that's been hypothesized or, or theorized that it, it's not because of effective uh, or, you, you know, um, fer- fertility reasons that it's for that it is a sexual attraction to right. um, take old biddies as the term of art. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. Uh... Didn't expect to get this far into yeah. the weeds. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you, you want to let's let's pull it back a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Why don't? Um, sorry, did you have something? Do you want to uh, lead us or steer us? Because I, I guess I have an idea of where maybe I want to start. But I mean, I do. Do we want to start in the traditional play? Well, okay. So I, I, if we're moving directly to the book, there's many angles we could, we can, and will. Uh, come at this from because I, the you know for instance we we tend to start a lot a, a lot of times with oh what was your experience reading the, yeah. the book how how did it feel which we definitely need to just get into that because it was so enjoyable and and such a unique experience in terms of reading fiction I think for me but so, so there's just the the writing itself and our experience with it there's the what what we think it means uh which is an unbelievably hard question to answer well that's uh, uh it's it's there's nothing ever so trite as a singular message in, in any piece of art but of course. Um, yeah, yeah um definitely. so yeah it, you, you're right there has to be uh he, he didn't just do this shit for no reason he's not just fucking around he's <laughs> he as a something he's saying i mean it's it's a statement right uh to put something like this into the world and um but i guess to respond to yeah the basic question of the experience of it i and i i we, we might um sort of inexorably weave his style in, into this conversation because i think it's almost the same question but yeah one could be um perhaps frustrated by his uh, kind of having it both ways his the idea he presents in the novel applied to the novel of i for one am capable of holding many contradictory viewpoints at once you know without the slightest difficulty or, or something like that how he it, it's almost a it almost is a contradiction it, itself the novel it, it it's it's not a pure allegory as he 
states in there he's not writing he says oh, i'm not writing a realistic novel about pakistan and then he has that long passage about all the things he would have to include if that were so yeah. um and the so so he's, he's almost in that passage he almost um says that that would that would be far more that he's almost using a a softer touch than than something that's realism would be. That passage also states to me that I, I think um, this is I'm probably pulling this from one of those essays, but that the task of, of the realistic novel, at least as he he presents it there, or as people would conceive of it, or as they would object to this novel not being that is impossible that you can't that it would just almost be a history at that point or that it's it's not going to be it wouldn't be a novelization it wouldn't and also i guess historical fiction is a question what what really is hmm. uh I, and i guess i haven't um that's why i'm glad we're doing this show because i <laughs> want to read more but i i suppose i don't know historical fiction well enough to exactly define it but my i guess my layman's understanding of it would be just a fictional story set in a place in a specific place in time Mm-hmm. that's mapped onto history. Uh, right, and, and this where is... the, the key events of history are at least happening in the periphery and are usually unaffected directly by the character's actions. At least that's been I would my guess. experience. Where it's yeah. like, where it, it, you know, the, the story is fictional and so the characters don't interact with history in a way that causes history to deviate from... Uh, the actual events that occurred. Yeah, I think uh, I haven't Which read very it. Very much cannot be said about this this novel. Maybe a Tale of Two Cities might be an example. Mm. Perhaps um, the French Revolution setting. Uh, hopefully, one of our listeners that hasn't given us any feedback yet might uh, help us out with that question. A good example of yeah. uh, historical fiction. Uh, call in, folks, if you know. Uh, <laughs> But <laughs> so yeah, his uh, I I guess all that to say, I really enjoyed the fluidity and kind of the enigmatic character of his project. The way he says it, it, it's I'm writing about Pakistan. I'm not writing about Pakistan. He makes direct reference to the figures that he's representing satirizing pick a word um in when he when he talks about um when he references that joke that he heard when he says um i heard a joke the other day about pakistan it's and he describes all all the successive heads of state um appealing to god to solve their problems by eliminating um the problem faction or the the ones that came before and then um it, it finally comes to uh, uh, Muhammad Zia Ulhaq, the general who is uh, represented by Raza Haider in the novel and um, he says can you please get rid of the, the politicos for me and God says sure just answer me one question I'm doing all these things for the Pakistani people why is it that they don't love me anymore and uh, Korn yeah. kind of the uh, says a lot of things I mean it's not a very funny joke it's almost more of a piece of irony than than a joke but uh yeah it's a 
something to be said there about the um, futility or maybe not the futility. I'll take that again. <clears throat> something to be said there about the self-destructive quality of theocracy as a state uh, governed by religion, but also it, it it's just a uh, it, maybe it's not there's something about it that's not it's outside of or not quite a religious point it's just about the the futility mm-hmm. of um cutting out one cancer to impose another or um yeah. i i do love the uh that he titles that the second to last chapter stability because it's such i mean that's what he's striving for i think uh Heider says he's going for stability under under god something like mm-hmm. that, or under the law of God. I, I can't quite recall. Maybe we'll be able to pull yeah. it up. But um, that, that it's, it's so in, in, in the quest for stability because it, it's constantly a desperate race to catch up from the mistakes of the previous leadership and that it doesn't happen quickly enough and people get fed up and depose, you know, depose and install someone else and it's just i mean there's there's um at least in the in the case of the fictional pakistan that he's writing about and the real one um i think that speaks to the again the futility of not only a state born of a mutilation of partition in the way that it was but a state design based on religion designed for it was it was it was for a people but it evolved into a muslim an islamic state to mm-hmm. you know, not to not the islamic state but you, <laughs> you yeah you take my um my mean i think i kind of uh really spun off there from what uh the original question was or well, we were we were we were talking about his style, um, and the way he kinds of has it both ways. But I, I've been talking a little too long. Tell me what you think about this. Yes, yeah, so we could probably get it. Well, I don't know if we eventually want to get into this. Um, but he he speaking about go ahead and listening and and I, he he seems to avoid or uh, perhaps underemphasize uh i don't not saying emphasize it less than he should but he just doesn't seem to to speak uh very explicitly about the about religion itself or islam specifically itself uh contributing to the to the rise and fall of dictatorships he he more like paints it as a he he points out its inability that 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 it islam was unable to it turned out to be unable to unify unify the nation uh early, early pakistan um and talks about religion as a tool of dictators but to my he even throughout the book he doesn't really talk that much about islam itself it's like he puts more 
I don't know. I, I don't. Did you did you read it that way? Um, like he, he, it almost seemed like he was more talking about the the nature of the culture, um, and the place of honor and shame in it. But yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I guess I don't know what I expected necessarily, but that did strike me. Sure, I mostly agree. I would say that, and this is eighty three that this was published. I, w- I would be interested to hear what he had to say now about theocracy, and perhaps we can maybe even find a recent interview. Sorry about that. Yeah. But uh, obviously with the uh, devotion to Islam of Raza Haider, it's it's referenced, um, and obviously as a representation of Ziaul Haq, in that interview near the end of the book that he's doing with the Angres interviewer um, who asked him, and I, I loved the hilarious feeble language, the hedges of when, when first when he does it with uh, Iskander Harappa and then with Razai, I was like, uh, according to some people, um, I mean, some are saying that your regime is possibly uh, in a certain sense, uh, it could be taken um in some instances uh, to be maybe representing uh possibly is it barbaric you know it, it, it <laughs> yeah it's that long and, and kind of it, i think it speaks to the western anxiety about uh speaking ill of islam not only kind of how it's viewed today as a persecuted minority in the united states when uh, you know, you, there's always a confusion of Islam versus Muslims. It's not a race; it's a set of ideas. Blah blah blah. But, mm-hmm. um, but also that uh, that the fear is real of of retribution of those that speak ill of the followers of the Prophet. But right, um, and you know, we could probably even bring in the Hitchens essay right now, and because I feel like he maybe not necessarily so much from a journalistic standpoint, but Hitchens da- did talk about, uh, in a sense, the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. Uh, when it, when it came to the, our, our putting up with, uh, the clear transgressions of the Pakistani government. Again, Christopher Hitchens essay from 2011, right after, uh, bin Laden died. And just before um, Hitchens died in the raid, yeah, mm-hmm, right. Uh, called the essay was called "From Islamabad to Worse." I think it's uh, "From uh, Abbottabad to Worse," but yeah, Abad it's Islam. it's yeah, his worst Abad, his right. worst title that I've ever encountered. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but I don't know. Are we getting too, maybe too far ahead of ourselves here? No, or? no, no problem. I I did want to pull it back a little and and um, add something to to my response to your question, saying you know, did you read it this way? I, when I said that I'd be interested to hear what he says now about it is that I view the idea that Islam or any religion could be a unifying force for a people that's that disparate and that already literally um, divided, bifurcated, mutilated in that way, that that's a doomed project from the beginning. That that um a any faith tradition that claims to have the answer to everything or um is a total solution in the case of islam the final revelation 
is going to be inherently schismatic and uh, self-destructive and that that yeah I, I guess I've, I've I've said it that that that's what Rushdie didn't quite say he said that there was hope there was hope but it ultimately didn't work but I, I guess I would uh, question the project from the first mm. I mean is liberty equality fraternity different um, he, seem, he maybe seems to think so what he says i mean i guess we're we're talking about we should just go directly to that section yeah the, is that the last author's uh what, what would you call those sections where he's it seems like yeah, you can call it from his own perspective aside but I, I think it's it's so integrated into the story that it's more of an insertion or i mean i'll use whatever word you like but the um the authorial perspective yeah and so he there's i don't know what maybe a dozen of those maybe not quite that many throughout the book Some, something like that yeah maybe or 10 he, or a dozen or he breaks out of the the narrative and to me feels like he it, yeah and yeah and bre- breaks out of the narrator's voice and talks about a variety of things often a personal experience of his um in the quote unquote real world and we're talking specifically uh, about the last of these sections in the book where he talks about the failure of Islam to be a uni- unifying yeah, it's for the, Pakistan. Uh, we have a different editions here, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's in um, the, the, I think it's in uh, stability. The second to last chapter, stability. may I interpose, may I interpose, May I interpose a few words here on the subject of the Islamic revival? It won't take long, and then that's about a page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do do uh, would we uh, would we want to read that whole thing? I think that might be. I think he can speak on it better than we do. Yeah, yeah. I say go for it. Right on. Okay. Okay. This is near. Yeah. This is uh near the end of the book, and at at this point, uh. General Hyder is established as uh, the dictator of Pakistan or Pakistan, as the case may be. And I'm sorry, but I know I need to get to it, but I'm going to insert. I loved the his use of the apocryphal story of uh, whoever the uh, military leader was that was the British uh, military person who was target was uh, charged with taking out a rebel the rebels in the Sindh province and he instead took it over and then sent the it didn't hmm. actually happen but sent the um I think I can't remember who conjured it some journalists that like it'd be funny if he did this sent the Latin word peccavi which means I have sinned hmm. which also means you know I, I sinned the province I have sinned but also I have sent you're oh, not you're not right, giving yeah. it to me here. <laughs> yep. No, I I uh I'm like, man, I thought you were going to be, you know, jizzing with me about about this great <laughs> this great piece of punnery, but I that esca- go, that escaped uh... me, but now now I recall, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. That's right. Yeah, but that was anyway. pretty early on, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was. But anyway, so as um yeah, at this point Hyder is established as as uh, the head of state. May I interpose a few words here on the subject of the Islamic revival? It won't take long. Pakistan is not Iran. 
This may sound like a strange thing to say about the country which was, until Khomeini, one of the only two theocracies on earth, Israel being the other one, but it's my opinion that Pakistan has never been a mullah-dominated society. The religious extremists of the Jamaat party have their supporters among college students and so forth, but relatively few people have ever voted Jamaat in an election. Jinnah himself, the founder or Qaid Izam, doesn't strike me as a particularly God-bothered type. Islam and the Muslim state were, for him, political and cultural ideas. The theology was not the point. And that, Greg, speaks to um, your reading of this. And yeah, I think I... I, Sorry, he's about to go on. What I'm saying will probably be anathematized by the present regime in that hapless country. Too bad. My point is that Islam might well have proved an effective unifying force in a post-Bangladesh Pakistan if people hadn't tried to make it into such an almighty big deal. Maybe Sindhis, Baluchis, Punjabis, and Patans, not to imagine the immigrants, would have sunk their differences for the sake of their common faith. Few mythologies survive close examination, however, and they can become very unpopular indeed if they're rammed down people's throats. What happens if one is force-fed such outsides, indigestible meals? One gets sick. One rejects their nourishment. Reader, one pukes. So-called Islamic fundamentalism does not spring in Pakistan from the people. It is imposed on them from above. Autocratic regimes find it useful to espouse the rhetoric of faith because people respect that language and are reluctant to oppose it. This is how religions shore up dictators, by encircling them with the words of power, words which the people are reluctant to see discredited, disenfranchised, mocked. But the ramming down the throat point stands. In the end, you get sick of it. You lose faith in the faith. If not qua faith, then certainly as the basis for a state. And then the dictator falls, and it is discovered that he has brought God down with him, that the justifying myth of the nation has been unmade. This leaves only two options, disintegration or a new dictatorship. No, there is a third, and I shall not be so pessimistic as to deny its possibility. The third option is the substitution of a new myth for the old one. Here are three such myths, all available from stock at short notice. Liberty, equality, fraternity. I recommend them highly. So... Liberty, equality, fraternity has its origins in the French Revolution, no? Mm. Um, which he does talk about the French Revolution directly in another, yeah. another similar section. I have um, uh, some thoughts there. We'll definitely get to that. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I think you you described it uh, exactly right, or, or distilled it, his, his point, that yeah, it had a chance, but... It was because it was, he seems to, um, take the blame out of Islam and put it on, uh, despotism and autocracy and that it was at least in this specific case, in this case, yes, yes. And, uh, and I, 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 what I know of the history of Pakistan, I know from reading and thinking about this book. <laughs> um, so I, yeah. I couldn't necessarily speak to it, but um, I don't. I don't think there's uh, these things are so goddamn complex. If you'll pardon 
damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> these things are so complex that nothing's ever all one thing. I mean, the, I, I guess yeah. part of my, um, and I, I, I tend to be a um, shameless Hitchens apologist and align with his positions with regard to the uh, the worshipful instinct and that theocracy and, and dictatorship are just parts of the same or are just uh, s- subjects set pieces in the same painting of um, of man's inhumanity to man that even the ostensibly secular dictatorship of uh, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto or Iskander Harappa in this novel was a worshipful and he essentially thought of himself as a god and somebody who could bring about an ultimate history which religion does as well and i mean the 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 narrative talks about iskander harappa and it feels like almost exclusively uh divine like language yeah i mean maybe this is a good uh insert it baby <laughs> yeah, a good way. Give me those passages. <laughs> a good way for us to get into the the nature and quality of the narrative itself. Yeah, okay. Um, and just of his his writing. So, you know, we I don't know if we're quite done with this topic, but I know we'll get back to it. Yeah. Um that's cool. I think we we've been I don't know. It seemed to scatter. I think we've been all right in terms of focus here so far. Yeah. Uh, uh leading in yeah, but I, I mean... So I think we're done, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See you next time. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, get back to Seinfeld, actually. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, go- going... So so going into this discussion, I don't know, I've, I've felt a little nervous, honestly, the last few days. And part, maybe part... We've talked, we talked about this the other day, that partially it, it's been... Uh, six months since my last drink. Um, no, uh, it's been <laughs> what eight months since we recorded. Probably. I didn't know what you were doing. That was funny. I, I couldn't <laughs> tell. Actually, I did have Seinfeld in my. I was like, I, I drank because, with you at your wedding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had Seinfeld in my mind because I uh, watched. I can't remember what episode it is, but where the their friend is going through the the twelve steps and George doesn't get his apology. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and then the guy takes him to Rageaholics Anonymous. Uh, anyways, besides the point. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since we've recorded. This is February. Last time we recorded was July. <laughs> so had a few things going on in that time. But also, I think this. I just really was having a hard time knowing how to talk about this book. I read it and almost wrote nothing down when I went through the the that full first reading um because it it is a very engrossing and uh bewitching perhaps story i mean it 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 reads it reads like a fairy tale and his writing is I mean, the the front of my edition of the book says Rusty's novels pour 
pour by in a sparkling, voracious onrush, each paragraph luxurious and delicious. Uh, which is, a, <laughs> which is a, a great description, right? I, I mean, it's yeah, it's a little. I mean, it's a little sexual it, if you ask me, but. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But uh, hey, I, I don't. Um, I like sex, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's written. It, it's written like a fairy tale, and though you know, he gets he he sounds much more practical in those uh, passages written from the author's perspective. But uh, it, it's yeah, I I I'd never read something in the magical realism genre. I don't know if other magical realism books read like this one. Um, my my but very uh, perfunctory understanding is that he um sort of established that term to describe or, or it, that term was conceived to describe his fiction i could be incorrect gotcha cuz i know i mean ali's read 100 years of solitude which is in the same genre and it that was under the impression that was written before Okay, uh, so I could just any be of Rushdie's wrong. novels, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I but so could I. Uh, but whatever, no doubt. In the uh, last uh, whatever, we've both been wrong multiple times. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the 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 writing in the narrative is at once very flowery and but you described it really well when we first talked about talked about the book a week or two ago that it's so it also feels so lean mm. and that every word feels like it was specifically picked and not that not even so every word and every sentence feels like it was picked very intentionally in place there but the structure of the sentences themselves the the sequence of sentences and how they work together it feels so meticulous that mm. and and because of its fairy tale like nature it also, I couldn't help but reading it, assuming that every single sentence was, if not direct metaphor or allegory, that it had some clear premeditated purpose for being there. So it was a little mystifying to read because I just had no idea where he was trying to take me. Yeah. You know? And it's <laughs> yeah. kind of only been in com- thinking since then and comparing those author's notes to the, to the, narrative that i'm feel like i'm starting to get more of a a sense of how i should think about the book um but certainly as much as any other book we've read thus far and in some in some cases or maybe in all cases maybe more so it feels like it's it almost feels wrong to talk about this book having only read it once yeah and i've i mean i've read it uh Today I got through it, you know, maybe seventy percent of it. Um, like skimmed the last bits there, um, mm. again for the second time. But um, I mean, it's extremely self-referential. There were there were that's what you notice the last chapter. Yeah, that I like know I'd read before, mm-hmm. but I couldn't remember where. Uh, he prefigures so. and foreshadows the events throughout the narrative. He he references. Uh, Navid's suicide twice in, in, a, in a tangential way that you don't... I definitely, on the first time, didn't know exactly what it meant, but it, it, it's just kind of a... Um, just the, the uh, tool of the effective writer that he can plant something in your mind. You don't even know it's there, and then 
when the foreshadowed event occurs, it all just snaps into place for some reason, and you're not quite sure why. That's yeah. um, that's just a, a beautiful experience to have, I think. One of the things... Um, I've been thinking a little bit, just from reading some criticism about this novel, that it is a good object of criticism and that he is set to... Did I say this already, or was it like before we... I don't know. Fuck it. I'll just keep going. Yeah, go ahead. Um, that it's it's almost a, a critic's dream and that it's it's uh, there's some ambiguity to it in terms of his exact project. But that if you, and I don't think what I don't think what we're doing is quite criticism. I almost think that what we try to do is something like what Rushdie's doing with this novel. He's at a slight angle to it. He's trying to. It's sort of a not quite a satire, but a um, a representation. You could say it's a critique of um, a history, almost. And that he's he has something to say, but he's also just presenting you a gorgeous narrative. That I I yeah. I mean I thought of Shakespeare. He references Shakespeare a couple times, but it's just, I, I view it to be a um, pretty Shakespearean tragedy. How all the set pieces, kind of all the pieces on the chessboard topple over, and nobody really wins in the end. That it's it's kind of a draw. Yeah. And right. I think when you, I I feel, I don't ever want to become the kind of reader that becomes so obsessed with the critique and 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 the meaning and uh, the position of the author that I lose the enjoyment of just experiencing this narrative as it is without any pretense or going into it without any. Um, ideas of what to expect, or I, I pretty much went in here cold, and it was yeah. the, the the I I was it was just as you say an enjoyable. I mean, I, it almost feels goofy. I remember joking about this on um, Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, it was a fun read, but it. I mean, we we haven't read anything fun yet, but but it's a it's like <laughs> DJ Allstar. It's a different kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. It, um, the second time we've referenced him, it really. <laughs> I think we referenced him in the Peregrine. Actually, oh, we uh, should stop the show. But, um, I want, yeah, I wonder Peregrine? if he'll ever okay. listen to these. Um, <laughs> but hear himself referenced. <laughs> I'll send it to him. Uh, he, I, we speak every week, but um, but do you, do you understand uh, my point about that? That I almost felt bad as I was reading those essays. That it. it I, I I had difficulty seeing how the writer of this could have enjoyed the writer of of those critical essays could have really enjoyed this book because it, it was always just so concerned with what point is he making you know what is he doing instead of instead of just of course you know just not only the writing the prose itself and the beauty there but something like um a, a passage like what you and I have referenced both uh, without knowing it was the other's favorite, our favorite passage in the book, which is the description of Ronnie's shawls depicting, mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe the title of the 18 works is the shamelessness of Iskander the great. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean that that is uh, I, th- I I guess I, I view that I think that passage passage is uh, kind of the apotheosis of the the writing of this and sort of the it, it's just the best narrative piece I think mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the one and I think we uh, either of us or both had, had mentioned that it, it's almost the one it's not quite hope but there's something redeeming about the idea that that she at least communicated the truth and in what in a way that words might not be able to right that that only art and only something that came from deep inside her memory and experience could offer her daughter that maybe she offered her a portrait that broke through the illusion of the image of her father that she had as this uh, great, pure, um, destined statesman. Yeah, and I mean, she's she feels like the only character, with the exception, perhaps, I don't know, we, we can talk about this, of Sophia, who... Main? Oh no! I mean, I guess actually now I'm now I'm. Taking I don't know. I don't think Sophia. I don't think Sophia. You you could ascribe would, that much. I guess. To, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say who uh, retains listen, in in um. I don't know what terms you would be describing, but yeah, it's not in. It's not in the terms of a character. Almost, she's more of an idea. She's more. Yeah. Of, yeah. I was and yeah. I, I mean, I'm walking it back because I was about to say who. Um. Ronnie maintains some agency still, you know, doesn't accept, um, Mm -hmm. uh, finally the shame placed on her. Uh, and you know, even though, even though she's kind of relegated to serve, basically serve as a, a piece on the chessboard of, merely of both Iskander and um, Arjamond, right? She, she develops, she develops a, a, a strength of, of will uh, that breaks free of that. I think in that, in that moment, um, which I don't know if can be said for any of the other, women in the novel certainly um, and the men pretty much all just destroy themselves right mm-hmm. yeah and yeah this, like, um, I, I think that was aptly phrased when you said that she doesn't accept the shame she almost uh i mean she's described kind of from midway through on in that way as kind of a an acceptance of her position not not a resignation but uh kind of bearing her plight and her um, sequestered position with some dignity and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not certainly not finding any uh, joy, but maybe finding some meaning. And right. um, yeah, ho- hopefully that uh, it can be passed on the, 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 the true memory, the memory of the truth of Iskander Harappa can possibly live on. That, yeah. I mean that that's the she she's the only person that that holds that that holds the, yeah. the full picture of his she's the only one that holds the uh full picture of his evil 
Hmm. Yeah. And just, I mean, just that passage in general was so incredibly re- well written. I-, I mean, it's one sentence that lasts five pages. <laughs> um, uh, describing the, the shawls. I don't know if it's quite five, uh, but yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to take the punch out yeah, of four, you. Right, four, we'll four cut five, this yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that um, just every... Maybe, I, shit, I guess we haven't quite... I mean, maybe we, we don't need to. Oh. Hopefully folks have read it, but uh there it's just the uh that project is um kind of her yeah as an artist her magnum opus and the uh i mean maybe the, the title does enough description there the the shamelessness of iskander harappa her her husband and the um head of the people's party that rose to power in a populist movement and was a ostensibly secular dictator for six years and then a two-year imprisonment and execution but his daughter Arjumand has this um i just feel like i'm summarizing but <laughs> has a almost deified picture of him Cer- certainly a, as as a um almost a subject position of as his daughter idolizes her father can't see anything that that's wrong with him and that's what that's what the reader hopes, and certainly Ronnie hopes, is that this can finally break through. And and just the fact that this is the one piece of the story we can point to is something that's um, either uh, redemptive or it says a lot that this is the one piece of the story that we can point to that's redeeming or that represents her refusal to accept her situation or to, to give in to the shame and, and really even experience it when she knows that it's something that's coming from the outside that that's being conferred upon her that that's not it's not real right i mean and she's clearly especially outwardly uh subjected to subjected to that oppressive force but she's the only one who isn't consumed by it um yes even in the it can be seen in the um the looting of her house by uh, of the estate by little mirror yeah um she's she's just kind of uh i mean what does she do she kind of directs them to where to go like hey you should start with uh start with the paintings in my bedroom I, I, that might be at the end of the novel when when um they're both under house arrest but uh e- either way she's just calmly knitting a shawl and you know, yeah. out of the front stoop while they while they loot the house i also loved the uh it just kind of, I guess, a little narrative technique, but it, it just hits hard when um, on one of those shawls and that description, she has the, it embroiders the execution, the hanging of, of Little Mir, Iskander's cousin, um, on, on their estate, on their home. And, you know, his heart, his tongue has been removed, his guts are falling out. And then there's a man, an observer, standing, looking at the body, and he says, it looks like his body's been looted, like a house. Yeah. Yeah. Nice little callback! (laughs) That was by far my favorite chapter of the book. Alexander the Great, yeah, that whole thing was gorgeous. Yeah, we kind of moved on to this... I forget exactly where we started, but talking about the divine-like language 
with which he writes about Iskander. And uh, it's just, you know, the, 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 the chapter is very epic because of that. And it just so clearly demonstrates the mastery of his, of his writing skill, I think. Yeah. Um, in how, uh, how dramatically he, he writes about those events. Um, maybe we'll, we'll, uh, read something one of these days where we don't like the writing, but haven't found it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Either we're easily pleased or we pick books really well. Yeah. Well, Uh, uh, hopefully it's both. (laughs) Right. Uh, but going back maybe a little bit towards, maybe we can talk a little bit about literary criticism and what, um, what we're trying to do. I don't know if you have anything more to say before I jump into that a little bit. No, yeah, go ahead. I think I more or less said what I was thinking about there. Yeah, I... Your knuckles are dry. (laughs) I know they are. (laughs) My friend said that to me uh, the other day, just like in in front of a bunch of people, like, like, damn, you need a moisturizer, man. Your knuckles are dry. I'm just like... What are you doing to me? What? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Part of it was, you know, we we did a bunch of cooking on Sunday for the Super Bowl. And so I was like, you know, yep. like washing my hands a bunch all day long and stuff or <laughs> yeah. cleaning dishes. Spending uh, the time in the kitchen like a woman. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, what uh, what do you got for me, Dickless? Uh I don't know. Maybe this isn't anything necessarily interesting to add, but yeah, I, I think how I'm how I'm approaching the things we're reading is at least a significant part of it is simply how does it how does it make me feel, <laughs> you know? Mm. Which I, I I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but you know, just the question of how one should approach art. Um, you know, when and I reject. Reading, I reject the use of should. I think I might have mentioned that before, but oh yeah. yes, yes. Okay, now yeah. I feel like we have talked about this. Yeah, but I mean that's a reading, part of part of that rejection is a response to the question. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, reading that uh, that essay. The uh, did you already say the full name of it? The dialectic mm-hmm. of shame and the author. The title of the essay is The Dialectic of Shame, colon, Representation in the Meta-Narrative of Shaman Rusty's Shame. Take it away. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe we can get into the what that what that essay had to say. But sure. I think as I was reading it, like, okay, so I texted you that it just felt, it, it, I guess maybe it felt a little too academic. Like, first of all, it was using, I thought, overly, like, it it was using jargon to describe things that didn't need academic jargon. (laughs) In in defense Uh, of academic jargon, I would say, I, I, I mean, I, I think you could, you can still carry your point here. I'm just saying that literary criticism is a field of discourse, and it, it almost, in that way, carries its own language, mm -hmm. and one um and i'm not literate in that language yet yeah neither am i and and so i I, you know i I feel like i can i can most of the time parse the gist of of what's going on in in a a critical essay but i guess 
I guess what I'm saying is that um, that's just the nature of the medium or the the task to want to say that you have to use the language of the field to in that discourse community to carry out the task of what you're doing yeah um well it also it is academic it's a (laughs) for sure and we are not (laughs) but at least we're honest in some sense that might be an advantage yeah in terms of what we're trying to do here yeah but yeah i think and not to say anything about the purpose of or the the essayist purpose behind writing that and it's it's likely very different from our own you know like you said it's ex- explicit literary criticism that's that's not that's not what we're trying to do here but i couldn't help feeling that like, wondering in a book as poetic and I, I mean he is telling a story here and i was wondering like if if it if in maybe a more pure form of literary criticism if if that isn't de- if something isn't lost when we try to deconstruct a work that much you know i mean it, can you lose would if we attempted to do something like that would we lose sight on the meaning it had to us and just our pure and our simple enjoyment what did we enjoy the book or not i think we are trying to take a broader approach towards toward these books that is very much includes how enjoyable was it to read uh how did what it's experiential maybe first at least what what, what we're doing um we try to i don't know offer some kind of i think critique is just going to be a natural piece uh, what we do in, in discussing it, but I'm with you that um, you seem to be kind of echoing what I was saying before that something's lost. Right. So all that to say, maybe I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the, the well, extent. we're continuing the long tradition right. of the Orange's Lemon podcast of being complete agreement about everything and never <laughs> right. disagreeing because, uh, except possibly uh, uh, the righteous mind, we had moral differences, which is interesting on its own. But anyway. Um yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm I'm with you that it's it's uh <laughs> it's a little even to say that um because uh, I mean I've used I've used the word uh task a few times and I feel like that is one of the 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 pieces the words of literary jargon that that's get tossed around in criticism in terms of the the project you know that the that the author is carrying out and to um, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's just the nature of, of these things that if if you if you put yourself out there in that way and, and write a, a work of fiction, um, it's a you know a vulnerable as hell thing to do, and you're going to be people are going to try to guess what your intentions or, or your motives were, and. Mm-hmm uniquely in this novel we get a glimpse into exactly what those motivations were when he describes the passage in which he first sort of had the idea to write about shame as um as an emotion and as a cultural um force and that's part of the that passage and that description 
of the women and one young boy that eventually became the character of Sufia Zenobia uh, is a big piece of the essay, which seems to articulate maybe um, a more literate listener can help us out with this one. But if I could distill it as much as I'm able to, I would say that it's a it it is dealing in a feminist reading and argues that the novel itself is its own critique of the position of women at least in Pakistani society and maybe as woman is viewed by man more generally and that Rushdie was aware of his own incapability uh, to his own incapability of adequately representing these women as agents and subjects rather than as objects. Hmm. Um, and I mean, that, that kind of speaks to some of our uh, discussion before. She she seems she employs heavily his asides and kind of his the construction of his characters and it's almost like when, when if you're rushdy it's like well hey I'm putting this in the novel I'm giving the reader a look behind the curtain that they don't normally see in, in a work of fiction and that's also going it also opens up his novel to that kind of criticism because he's, he's kind of revealing his mind a little bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I suppose that I, I guess I understand her argument. I, but uh, maybe to your point, it, it seems it, it's just a little strained. It seems like she really wants to, um, see a failure of perspective taking on the part of Salman Rushdie almost on a on a, a whole basis that he's that he's unable to adequately capture the mind or the position or the consciousness or agency of woman and uh that I would reject maybe that's not what she's saying but um I don't know I, I guess that's that's kind of a riff to go off of what do you what do you think is that is that how you'd characterize the broad argument of the essay? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, well, there's that. There's that well, other. Sorry, one thing. Also, she says that when he's when he's describing, I recognize this my second time through. That when when he when he's describing the conception of the Sufia Zenobia character, which is the incarnation of shame in the novel, and sort of the the sponge that takes on sort of the unconsumed or unrealized shame that, that floats around in society and then eventually is destructive and, and explodes and leads to violence, one of the main thrusts of the novel. Um, he's asking uh, this, this, this woman who was killed by her father you know, in, in, in an honor killing to the, her, the, his daughter's blood was the only thing that could wash out the stain of shame that she'd brought upon her family by sleeping with a white boy. This is a real 
yes event that that he that part that he says provided inspiration for the character yeah part of part of the essay's argument is is uh deals with why why he just assigned her a name because she no doubt had it was a real person that this happened to and so she had a name but he just gives her one which is almost um i can't remember exactly what she says or where she says the meaning is there but sorry i've lost the thread of it uh he he asked the question he says that this this woman who was you know honor killed in an honor killing by her father i had to take her back east because it was in somewhere in europe i think it was in britain that that happened uh maybe even in london and i had to take her back east let the idea breathe it, it's 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 favorite air something like that hmm. and in my conception of her in my in the metamorphosis of, of the character she became stupid she became an idiot um she you know, she became retarded why and he asked the question why did i do that to her and the essayist says uh and uh, did we ever uh, did i say what her name was i don't think i did and it could be a woman for i actually i actually don't know but <laughs> we'll look her up uh Ayelet Ben Yeshai, and we'll, we'll maybe since we're we're referencing this a lot, we'll probably have that in the description uh, for you folks. Yep. But um, he and she says he never answers that question; that he leaves it open ended. That 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 sort of reveals something about his uh, either perfunctory treatment of the character, maybe of of, of womanhood or the agency of woman. But he does directly answer that question um, later. I, I can't remember the. Uh, okay, his. Uh, I'll 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 do his question. Just a paragraph here. When he asks, uh, he says, "Anna deported, repatriated to a country she had never seen, caught brain fever, and turned into a sort of idiot. Why did I do that to her?" Or maybe the fever was a lie, a figment of Bilkey Hyder's imagination, intended to cover up the damage done by repeated blows to the head. Hate can turn a miracle gone wrong into a basket case, and that Hakimi potion sounds pretty unconvincing. How hard to pin down the truth, especially when one is obliged to see the world in slices. Snapshots conceal as much as they make plain. And then a few pages later, the essay says he never answers that question. He says, I did it to her, I think, to make her pure couldn't think of another way of creating purity in what is supposed to be the land of the pure, a, a translation of the word Pakistan. And idiots are, by nef- definition, innocent. Too romantic a use to make of mental disability? Perhaps, but it's too late for such doubts. And he goes on to describe the character. But um, that ties it off for me. That I, I, I kind of understand... It it just works with with how he while he wrote the book that the you know in, in the land of the pure obsessed with honor and, and shame and religiosity and and everything that goes along with that how do I make some the somebody a pure incarnation of shame and I have to make her completely innocent as an idiot hmm. but um shit I I really uh hijacked you there i really don't remember what um and and you you were complaining earlier about losing your rhythm so uh i'm not helping you (laughs) no worries well i mean maybe this is a good 
time to should we go into the idea of shame? character of Sophia Zenobia sure more her her representation as shame her contrast to Omar Khayyam sure yeah what do you got yeah I mean I, I don't know what it is like I I had a hard time piecing together uh, their contrast and interactions because they're like their direct interactions are pretty um, minimal in the narrative. You know, I mean, they get married, but right, the, the passages in the book where they're directly interacting are almost non-existent. Um, yeah, where they're they're not speaking to each other. Um, yeah, I don't think that that's just kind of set up as as contrasts. But I mean, the essayist, the essayist um, points out that right, Omar is the embodiment of shamelessness, mm-hmm. which isn't isn't the direct opposite of shame. Yeah, um, that honor is shame's opposite. That I mean, I, but when I was going through it the second time, I, I was more ably easily. Uh, I recognize what she says. He directly says, what What do you have when... Sh- what shame's opposite? What do you have when shame is gone? You have shamelessness. Yeah. But the absence of shame would not be its opposite. I would right. say. But uh, I agree with um, the essayist there. But... Uh, yeah, so... Early in, early in the book, Omar's mothers forbid him from feeling shame. Yes, um and in a in an author's note he he says this word shame no i must write it in its original form not in this peculiar language tainted by wrong concepts and the accumulated detritus of its owner's unrepentant past this angrezi in this angrezi in which i am forced to write and so forever alter what is written sharam that's the word for which this paltry shame is a wholly inadequate translation. Uh, a short word, but one containing encyclopedias of nuance. It is not only shame that his mother's forbade Omar Khayyam to feel, but also embarrassment, discomfort, decency, modesty, shyness, the sense of having an ordained place in the world, and other dialects of emotion for which English has no counterpart. Um, and it's... Even Omar, both Omar and Sufia, besides besides for Omar the the those first couple of chapters, even he plays a very kind of passive role. He's more of a presence in the book than a directly acting force. And Rushdie comments about that as such. He he says he is a uh, peripheral uh, hero peripheral hero that's that's the word right so i don't know how how have you been thinking about their dialect place in the novel their yeah right the the contrast between the two um because yeah. i i've been i've had a hard time understanding that sure uh so have i frankly the when um it, it's, it's stated in the essay or maybe another one that it's it's the relationship of shame and shamelessness to violence that he described. It's not how shame comes about itself. It's not the origins of shame or of shamelessness, but about the relationship to violence. Hmm. And even that is 
<laughs> seems so obvious after reading this too, but the actual mechanism isn't quite there. I guess maybe if I could, I don't know, just something that occurs to me is that the, I, I guess I, I have difficulty and and maybe this is this is part of the point, or this is just my reading of it. But separating these ideas from the religiosity of the society, as presented in the book and in in the real world, as the um, the integral place of shame and original sin that's emphasized in Christianity, but also in Islam in Islam, there's my understanding. It, it, it's not there's not the same kind of salvation or hope for redemption that Christianity has. It's uh, ah, shit. I feel like I'm speaking uh, out of turn here with regard to the tenets of uh, the faith. Perhaps I'm associating the physical and sexual repression of women in the society as as depicted in the novel and in most Islamic societies in the world today as a direct result of the, the tenets of Islam, of, of its teachings. I would, hmm. I'd love to hear maybe an Islamic scholar um, talk about this or offer some kind of a defense for this shameful piece of culture that that exists in the novel and in the real world. I think that is a, a main piece of, of uh, if I could be so stupid, of Rushdie's point here is that not only is the um on its own, the repression uh, and sexual repression of women and obsession with sexual purity and, and sanctity and just the distaste for the genital regions that they all have. I mean, there's myriad and disparate and different cases of it in this novel. I mean, you think of the um, absurd kind of illusion and, and cognitive dissonance required in the 40 thieves system where you have the men creeping in at night to maybe their wives, you know, to make love to them in this compound hmm. um, instead of just having, uh, just not being so preoccupied with the damn thing and um, letting people enjoy the joy of uh, sexual Congress on their own. Um. Yeah that that kind of repression is uh, horrible on its own but also is analogous to and leads to the intellectual repression and and suppression of the general population and that that it, it can't help but be horrible for a society i mean you even have the uh direct portrayal of the animal cycle of reproduction with Navid Hyder. Her, you know, every year she's cranking out more and more children and she's unable, she collapses under the weight of that burden and commits suicide. Hmm. Um, 
and I, I feel I've 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 um, veered from sort of the original prompt, which was shame and shamelessness, the dynamic between Sophia and and Omar Khayyam. But let's see if I can I can pull it back. Uh, firstly, maybe maybe I'll just riff about Omar a little bit on the first read. For some reason, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an obtuse uh, male dummy, but I didn't quite read his rapes as rape i i it was it, i certainly you know it was um it's like this guy's a sleaze bag but his i was maybe and i don't think this is rushdie's fault i think this is my fault i i think maybe i was just a little taken in by his justification which i should have recognized um as just an as a textbook sort of victim blaming um having read lolita that's one of the main characteristics of, of Humbert Humbert's character is his constant assertion of his goodwill. And I only want what's best for her. And in the end is convinced that she seduced him, a 12 year old seduced him. Hmm. And that's, that's essentially Omar's same justification is I would never, I mean, it's absurd. It's a, it's a, it's a tautology to say I would, you know, you, you'll do anything I ask you to, but I'll never do anything that ask you to do anything you wouldn't be already willing to do. I mean, who's right. who's the judge of that? It's the person under question, not Omar's um, position. So, yes, he has been. Um, he was raised under conditions that didn't not only was shame forbidden, but also there wasn't really the possibility for him to feel shame because shame wouldn't have been, he had no peers or people with whom to interact uh, or learn about, at least in his, you know, very early formative years up, up until he was 12, I think was when he um, left the confines of his home and went to get an education. Um, but so he is he is shameless in that way i i don't know if and he and then in the second half of the novel he he acquires this kind of something like a heroic quality that that Rushdie wants to seem to confer upon him and I, i'm curious what you think about his use of the word hero and his um characterization of, of omar Khayyam in that way is he being kind of playful and almost satirical with the word um does he really think that i mean even the idea that the hero is peripheral is kind of a an inversion you know that it's it's almost antithetical to say that the focus of the story is not the focus um right but i um i I guess i i more readily can access and understand just because it was so clear from the first Sufia Zenobia's incarnation of as shame and her representation of it. She's everything that's spoken and unspoken about the, it's almost a society that's run on shame that that's governed by, by shame. Um, and, and at least in the, in the, um, in its higher orders as depicted in this book, higher social orders. And 
yeah, from from the beginning of her uh, blushing at her birth and the explosion of murdering all the turkeys, which I thought was kind of uh, an interesting uh, word picture where the heads are removed ostensibly yeah. are, are you, know, you you could I, i'm i'm being a little cute here but kind of the rationality is taken out and then the guts are pulled up through the head you know the gut the guts take over your it, we refer to as our gut you know our intuition supersedes everything and it's just um pure instinct and reaction Right. But yeah, and and then and then in the end, sort of her ultimate transformation into the the animal, almost almost it. She escapes the confines of the shame of those families, and is is the incarnation of the the shame of the society, and wreaks the violence that had been pent up for so long upon upon the society that that perpetrates this cycle of um of honor and and shame and yeah so i i don't know i guess uh yeah all, all that to say I, I was i mean maybe as i talk through it i'm a little more sure of kind, kind of um just even with 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 uh omar Khayyam's self-justification of his rapes it's not like he's working that hard to justify it he does it very easily he doesn't have the capacity for shame. He doesn't have the capacity to um, thinks that he's quite done wrong. It's only when he's examining his motivations for falling in love with Sufia Zenobia that we see introspection on his part. And that's really done through Rushdie. I, I don't know if there's that much direct... If he's really taking his perspective, you know, Rushdie like sort of takes up his defense in a way. You know, he said the defense refuses to rest, and that that whole passage right. was really interesting. But um, so yeah, I guess the uh, I, I feel like after I, I said all that, I, I still am maybe just as confused as you are on on the question. But uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I've. I'm finding myself a little bit at a loss, you know, for exactly how to, a, a lot of the books we've talked about, we've, or, and the works of fiction we've discussed, we've been able to kind of easily, more easily take the narrative, the experience of the character and like extract it into some me- kind of meta meaning that we've taken from it or how it made us you know think about the thematic elements as they apply to our as they apply to us or or our understanding of ourselves in the world this one has been a lot harder for me to do that with i th- i think part of it is the foreign the to some extent foreign nature of the society that's being described like it's it's very it's very powerful. I don't know. Do you do you find that like the the those elements of shame and shamelessness? How, do you do you find that those have been strong presences in you know your life and upbringing and and things like that? I guess maybe that's part of why I'm having a hard time 
like extracting out maybe interesting sure. things to say or think about from this? I would, uh, I, I, as as um, you were talking, I was ignoring you and thinking about my own point, but um, no, <laughs> no I, I would add to what I said before that I think that, I, I guess I take, and, and maybe I'm, I'm um, pulling criticism, whatever, I... What I what I take from this is womanhood, femininity is shame. Is to be a woman is is to almost live a shameful life in in this society. Hmm. The just the uh, the reason she was named shame is because she was it wasn't because she was born an idiot. It was because she was born a woman. She should have been a man. Right, um, but that's she, not placed on. Well, maybe it is. It is. I mean, that's not necessarily placed on Naveed, but it's also hinted at that she might not be uh, Raza's child. Of course, right. Yes. So there's an element of unspoken shame, even in there, even despite that they that they named her good news and, uh, um, I think even say that oh it. She was supposed to be a girl. The blame for the older child not being a boy can't be placed on her. Yeah, yeah, that absurd thing, and and the uh, the passage in which she says um, when when Bill Key gives the news to Ronnie that she's pregnant, says inexplicably her left eye began to nictate, which means a blink, and then it says a, le- a winking left eye means bad news about to come. Then hmm. she's named. Good news, obviously. Nice little poetic piece there. But when it, it, it's seen in um, Arjuman's rejection of her body, you know, this woman's body, all it offers you is pain and babies, and uh, I can't remember her exact phrasing. But hmm. then um, Naveed, in, in sort of her inner monologue, states that they get you no matter what. You know, e- even when I, when I did it the right way quote unquote you know married and i'm having babies but i'm 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 not in control i'm being stuffed full of alien life every year i know she uses the word alien and just a vessel for talvar's yes desire for children and pride therein yes his pride there you go his his honor his um he he kind of lost he lost his physical manifestation of his masculinity when his polar career ended because of his bite on the neck from the aforementioned Sufia Zenobia. And so he has to reassert it in his progeny. Hmm. And I think, so broadening that, you can just say that the treatment of women is this society's great shame. Hmm. This is the, the, the way that they view women as shame is is their shame hmm. uh kind of when um yeah when rusty i think in in an aside in a, in a uh, autobiographical moment says that that you look around there's everything everything in this society you can see something of which to be ashamed yeah and this is the the origin of, yeah. of that i i think i that, that's one of the the main things I, I i take from it um I, also i haven't lost your question from a moment ago is the reason you, you asked uh hey maybe i'm having trouble because i it hasn't these ideas haven't figured much in my life 
Um, yeah, my uh, I had a interesting con- Maybe I brought this up on the show before. I can't remember. It's been some time since we've recorded. Hey, yo, Mazel Tov! You got <laughs> married. Um, uh, I had a an interesting conversation with my three sisters about shame. It kind of started with vulnerability, and I'm um. I don't have the the quite the knowledge or the tools to to maybe you know have this conversation that I'm about to invoke here, but um, <laughs> they yeah they um one of them described um she some therapy work she was doing and and how uh. That that vul- I mean, it, it, vulnerability is colloquially invoked as sort of the key to relationship, right? Or at least to um, companionate love and, and romance. And that's one of the things. And this is slightly outside, but one of the things that frustrates me about just my inability to understand that on an experiential level, but how. It's just something I, I've accepted is that uh, love defies language and description, and I, I can't put it into a neat little box and and, and think about it um, in a logical way, the way I would like to. But I'd like to be able, able to understand it a little bit. But I just hate the way the, the language is always so vague. It's always, um, you know, be be you need to be open and um and and, and vulnerable and and. And I'm, and I never I'm open. There's just nothing. <laughs> the fridge is open. I'm out of beer. There's yeah. There's that's what I that's what I feel is that I'm never holding anything back. I, I'm yeah. give, I'm giving people what I got. Almost always, you know. There's selective truth telling. I'm not a total dick all the time. You know, I don't say everything I think. But you take my point that yeah, yeah. I, I never I never feel like I'm holding anything back. But it 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 um. It feels like I get accused of of uh, um, not having an emotional intelligence or an emotional acuity on this point. In this conversation, one of them asked me, "What makes you feel shame? What makes you feel exposed?" And I, it, it took me a minute to think of of something but i i guess um i can't remember i might have brought this up on the show before but um <laughs> i know we've talked about this but i f- don't recall it being during a okay. recording okay but, but it could be yeah i got a, a few years ago i got scammed on on craigslist it was you know one of the more oh, sorry i thought you were talking about the conversation i don't oh. yeah don't think I don't we've think talked about this about okay but yeah I, it was yeah. um there's no real excuse for it it was the most embarrassing thing I've ever done, you know, just deeply stupid and <laughs> short-sighted, you know, just sort of a textbook. Um, it was, you know, so it, <laughs> so you don't think it was a, a prince or anything. <laughs> just an, an apartment ad on Craigslist that wasn't real. And I sent some money and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that was deeply embarrassed. I use the word embarrassing because, um, I think shame is is a slightly different thing. And because I was eager to... 
process it and talk it through. I brought it up to to people in my life and my friends. I, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to be made fun of. That was part of it because that, you know, kind of makes something okay for me. You know, I like to be like to get mm-hmm. my balls busted. You know, and um, it, it it's just a way of uh, you know it, that 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 is the great uh, shared vulnerability to me. It is acknowledging our own frailty and 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 uh, narrow mindedness and stupidity as human beings that we can't quite escape and that you know this was one of my versions of it and it was in that way i think it was kind of a a a positive thing for for me to uh it was a nice reminder of how easily um i can no matter what i think of myself how we can all get taken in by a con man and it's not an easy thing to admit um, that you're that uh, simple, <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know if this fucking helps you at all. But but I guess that that's that's what come that's what pops into my mind when when I think about shame and, and, and shamelessness. I, I I don't think in terms of shames shamelessness. Um, there's I I think my father has been described as as shameless a few times, not. The, I, I've, I've heard maybe it was the women in my family that, and maybe this is an interesting application of kind of the ideas in this novel that have described him as that just kind of socially, you know, just kind of, um, and I, I think, I don't know, maybe he's changed. This is kind of when I was way younger, but that uh, he'll um, he'll just say it, you know, if, if everyone's thinking it, kind of one of those things that's not polite to say. Not like he's an asshole yeah. or anything, but he's just he's just open. He wants to get it out there. And I think that's a good quality, and and um, maybe not for everyone to have, but it's something I like to do too. I address, you know, I I get it out. I, I don't like to, uh, I I abhor the idea of takaluf, the untranslatable mm-hmm. word that that's presented in here as uh, an unstated acceptance. A kind of the the we're all just going to ignore something we we both we both know and we both know that each of us knows what is really going on but but it's going to go unsaid that i i don't i think that that's kind of um that would be part of rusty's point as well that that that's untenable in yeah. in in a society but um right. Maybe not. Maybe uh, I guess that. Yeah, that's that's how I would take it. But yeah, does does that um, answer answer your question in any way, in terms of uh, shamelessness? I mean, I, I yeah, I, I think uh, I yeah, I don't really feel that kind of embarrassment that's described in the novel, or that or that people describing not embarrassment that kind of shame. I'll, I'll say it directly. Yeah. I you know I, I just I just stand by I try to stand by what I do and what I say and if I fuck up then I then I do and I'll try to acknowledge it and you know amend the transgression if I can. Right. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, I I get embarrassed most when I do something stupid or uh, similarly. Um, I mean, I guess that's kind of the definition of embarrassment you know almost embarrassment by definition right yeah um, but it's 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 a very different um you know being taken in by a con man is a very different thing from the shamelessness 
of yeah. um or, or wait hey sorry shit i i sort of um i fucked that up it, it's it's whatever shame i felt is very different from the cultural um imposed shame that's described in shame <laughs> right yeah for sure um i guess try, you know at, at the very least trying to relate it to my own experience uh yeah shame it it I agree with you. It it's it feels deeper than that, and I feel it most when I, not where I did something, when I did something, um, and I should have known better, but when I did something wrong and I did know better, um, like it's, I'm actively choosing to harm myself or harm someone else especially um and i think one thing i've dis i think i've kind of discovered over time especially over the last several years in the course of uh meeting ali and getting married is it's you know i've i feel like i have a pretty easy time kind of like how you described it being you know, kind of an open book really open with the people in my life and it's just amazing how much harder that gets when the stakes are high you know when you're really afraid of losing somebody wow uh, so it's good to know that you don't love your parents <laughs> No, uh, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> right. That's well, I'm sorry to, to make a joke because that was a really interesting point. Um, the stakes are raised, so you're you, you feel you're not as able to be as as um uh yeah as not as honest, but yeah as oh I'm trying to find a better word than open, but but yeah, it's how would I describe it? Yeah, I, I think when you're talking about something as communal as a i don't even i don't even want to say romantic relationship because that's that's too weak but the prospect of or movements movement toward a like love life partnership let's just say <laughs> what'd you say said a love construction <laughs> yeah uh it's a social construct i don't know if it if it if it's if it just like it lay it, it lays bare um your weaknesses more i i think because you know we're very close friends and you and i and but like i know i don't hold like a level of control over your well-being that is so profound where i like the the smallest you know small mistakes like me can have dramatic impacts on on your well-being i think we we do have some we do have some and even a significant amount of impact on the well-being of each other just in the nature of being close friends but it isn't like there's you know partially because of the stakes but just because of how uh much of your daily experience is consumed by by a partner i guess uh yeah 
it so uh, i guess maybe and some of this is maybe besides besides the point i i think my point was just that um yeah it's in the context of well yeah, i guess in that context and just broadly yeah shame for me tends to come from when i did know otherwise and chose to act counter to that especially especially when the more the more influence you have over a over the person's well-being yeah Um, i think both of our uh maybe inability to articulate how shame or shamelessness figures in our lives has a lot to do with rushdie's passage about how he was appalled that he understood the father's crime that murdered his daughter because she slept with a white boy. When he he says, those of us that grew up on a diet of honor and shame will, we won't, you know, it's not a good thing, but it's, we view it as part of, it's understood why, why the husband would do this. And he talks about the the interviewees of, of the of the paper that um, thought the same that that found themselves unable to condemn the father, and I think that that's just a uh, that's part that's partially why we're reading things that we're trying to be varied, and um, you know it's been rather Anglo so far, but. Um, this was definitely a certainly a departure from I mean, you have the the Western the British colonialism, but this is a departure from the West that I think we needed, and I think just this our kind of inarticulate uh, fumblings with these ideas here speak to the fact that we just aren't literate. We aren't culturally literate in, hmm. and but this was a step toward uh, understanding how this functions um in, yeah. in 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 pakistani society as as he presented it you know oh it's it's a novelization again this isn't a history so um <laughs> object listener as you will but do you agree with that yeah i do and actually i i maybe thought of a another well another another point that where maybe i can connect with it a little more is is just in the the eruption of violence you know it, i'm interacting with this more metaphorically um i think there's a lot more in the culture he's describing uh there's a lot more like literal connection to um shame and violence as you said uh with i mean with the direct example he he get, he gives that our uh or the uh, of the the honor killing but um i guess maybe one one other one other thing that's striking me now is just the um the danger of creating a sufia zenobia um i i e like a like a locus of unaddressed unresolved suppressed shame and like the 
violent, dan- you know, violent, maybe more emotionally in our, uh, in our, in our society, uh, outcomes of leaving those, leaving, leaving shame to fester in a family or between, between individuals, um, and how it grows and consumes, uh, everything if you if you don't address them so maybe that maybe that is like the key step for um openness and potentially vulnerability uh you know what what your sisters were talking about uh is the willingness to confront it and why that's so difficult is because it directly touches the the thing the things that make us feel weakest which shame tends to do at least in my experience yes Um, the the in this book it's it's it always goes if it if it's spoken you know shame it's it's not really addressed you know it's always unspoken it's shunted off to the side the women are relegated to confinement imprisonment and interesting about um sort of a meta point about the novel is that um because this is uh, we're talking a lot about shame as as a almost a culture of shame that this novel was banned in pakistan and he mentions it as if i was writing a realistic novel then it would be banned and this one was banned which yeah which um i think maybe it was one of the essays that mentioned uh, it was viewed as kind of a, a betrayal, like we don't air our, our dirty laundry to the world, but which just shows that they are ashamed of the representation of the culture of shame that they possess. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, not, they, it's still not quite confronted. That's a good point. In in in, yeah. I mean, at the at the point of really, again, yeah, we are our, our, our um, a contact with the history here is is inadequate, especially since uh, the release of this novel. Yeah, and, you know, I, but there is that uh, the section where he talks about uh, Robespierre and Danton. Oh yes, good because does, yeah, I, I have a thing here does extend it beyond um pakistan and yes and the middle east um you, you know the he so they see what's the name of the the de- death of danton or something like that i can't remember the name of the, the play that him and some friends saw um but that the, the the play poses the true dialectic of history i think is the phrase he uses as one between um shame and shamelessness purity and uh and vice uh yes i've uh i have the i think i have the passage if uh at least i fucking thought i did 
Yeah, it's on one. I I, uh, I have it pulled up in mine if you want you me do? to. You do? Okay, but, yeah. What, uh, yeah. yeah, here it is. Okay. This opposition, the Epicure against the Puritan, is, the play tells us, the true dialectic of history. Forget left-right, capitalism, socialism, black-white. Virtue versus vice, ascetic versus bawd, God against the devil. That's the game. And I want to tempt the French, but it says, ladies, gentlemen, place your bets. Hmm. Uh, th- th- I think this is a... Um, I've been reading a little Hegel this semester, and I've, I've read like fucking a few pages of the phenomenology of spirit, and it's really baffling to me. But just from people's commentary of him, and, and from some of the other material, I've I've gleaned at least this much that this is a, a Hegelian view of the dialectic of history. He he views it as a sort of bifurcation and kind of a dialectic of of the spirit or i think of reason maybe his his language again is is very confusing maybe maybe a um somebody who's listening who's read shame and has read hegel can line this up for me but he divides it into divine law and human law which is essentially would yeah would be the Puritan divine law and human law, the Epicure. Uh, and that while this collision is what puts society at risk always, and when it's never a guarantee, and we're always on the precipice of collapse in some way, that it's also what gives rise to society in the first place. Hmm. But that Can you describe he, that more? Um, no, (laughs) (laughs) I, but I, I would, uh, flesh out that in this novel, he, he paints, uh, he sort of states that, that, um, kind of the ostensible opposition there of Raza Hyder as the austere Puritan and Iskander Harappa as the indulgent Epicure, um, is not as, um, clear a binary or an opposition as as it might seem that it's an internal dialectic as he states it's yeah. not a i think that's a, that's a that's a later passage when um his, his poet friend is is describing uh describing the play that it, it's not this uh opposition of danton and robespierre that it's it's the the conflict and the um the conversation within each human heart and you, you human soul use whatever gay uh word you <laughs> fuck <laughs> I, I shouldn't say gay word um although i think that was a you fun like, a fun like use red of it scare. yeah uh, what'd you say you sound like red scare red, oh <laughs> uh, red scare. is that <laughs> all the time. oh okay yeah oh they just kind of use it in that way yeah use, okay yeah um hold on hold on let me um yeah that it the the yeah his point is that it, it essentially an internal dialectic that it's not Danton versus Robespierre. It's Don Pierre and Robeston that we're all, and that, that he he says, you know, it it was, you know, Iskander Harappa certainly acquired a kind of austerity and and rejection of the pleasures of the flesh toward when he got serious and, and tried to woo history. And then he, he states, which I find, 
um, a little may, maybe like he doesn't quite the the character of General Hyder doesn't quite carry um, this authorial point that Rushdie makes is that could it be said that Hyder takes no pleasure in his his movements and his um, assertion of uh, of sort of the of the divine law of his accession to to that to that form of of reason uh right i mean and it seems it and he says oh yeah, worn out. yeah he says it, he he doesn't you know he, he the, the thinks that there's no way he couldn't derive some pleasure from it and i i guess i guess i'm not sure maybe um maybe the reader can infer that but i i read uh raza Hyder as as relatively straightforward and unhappy and you know, not 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 to say that you you uh, need to be happy to be deriving pleasure, but there. And actually, you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm walking this back because I I I I just need to think about the murder of um Sinbad Mangal, uh, from hmm. like the first third of the book. I think he he, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's it's Rusty's sort of characterization here, and I'm just retroactively applying it, but. That it's just popped into my head as something that I think from which he derived pleasure. Hmm. And at uh, towards the end of stability, after he's done away with Talvar and uh, the general and his Shuja, his yeah, assistant his, or whatever. Yeah, the at, uh, yeah, I can't remember the title, but yeah, the the very sad fellow. Right. At the at the end of that, which is towards the end of the chapter, let's see, where is it? Oh yeah, just a short paragraph. Uh, the loyalty of his junior general showed Raza Hyder that the army was having too good a time to wish to rock the boat. A stable situation, he congratulated himself. Everything tickety-boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, you know, even so whatever even apart from that uh yeah he does paint that dialectic broad you know globally broadly yeah. and it kind of made me think of brave new world actually because i was editing that this week i uh sorry um, quickly i wanted to insert that the oh, yeah. um go ahead uh the essayist describes his characterization of of that the dialectic of history as a as the necessary third entity that you have, um, you know, divine law, human law, uh, virtue, vice. You know, you use the distinction, whatever you like, and then you have their interaction, and, and that's what that's what society is is that. Uh, emergence that result sorry i guess that was i don't know if that's my yeah. understanding or i'm just rearticulating what um the uh the essayist was was talking about that i her name i can't pronounce or his whatever what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it made you think of brave new world with the savage being purity and quote-unquote society uh being the epicure okay right. sure um and you know it's it's 
yeah, it's painted pretty ex ex. Well, I don't know. I mean, not that, not that we want to rehash that whole the the whole discussion the whole discussion on that book. But, Interesting though um, that um, the image of the hangman's rope is the final picture in that novel, and it's the end of a few of the characters in this book as right. well. I, I don't know what significance that has, but that just popped into my head there. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, I mean, I, you could so say I that's think, the collision. That's the result of his, of virtue and vice. Right. Is, is, is destruction. Um, right. And yeah, I, I guess maybe my point is I, it, it, it feels to me like there's something, there's something to, uh, to his comments on that internal, on that internal dialectic. I mean, we, even in modern America, right? Like young people are increasingly seemingly, what's the word I'm looking for? Are you alluding to the phenomenology of virtue wrought to its extremis and becoming vice? No, not necessarily. I guess what I'm saying is we have never been more comfortable and preoccupied with comfort and entertainment and the potential for missing those things, FOMO, you know, uh, uh-huh. that kind of thing. You're you're you're. But at the same time, brave new world here, and and to just the presence of the the internal that internal dialogue yeah. between virtue between purity and um pleasure pleasure uh in just that we've perhaps never been a more pleasure saturated society um with infinite distraction and entertainment options etc but it does seem like our politics are continuing to to do over time more increasingly be focused on purity to an almost uh religious degree good Uh, i like i like your assessment of that a lot yeah and um i don't know where to, to go from that yeah observation but i mean we do we're obsessed with the reduction of suffering and increase of pleasure um, not to say that either of those are inherently wrong. I'm, I'm definitely not. But we also like, like uh, in that in that uh, passage about Danton that we just that we just read the 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 paragraph right before the one you read, talking about Danton. Uh, Rusty writes, he gets the chop miraculously staged because he is too fond of pleasure, epic. Uh, Epicureanism is subversive. The people are like Robespierre. They distrust fun. Yeah. Uh, we have an increasingly large detest, uh, 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 detest for the, the rich and the most well-off. Okay. And not, again, not to say that none of that is justified, but we're on one hand obsessed with pleasure and entertainment and on the other, resent those who have the most of it. Yeah. 
which is uh, to, I, to a level of, of or, almost pure uh, purity like yeah go ahead i'm with you i was gonna say or ostensibly have the most of it those who would um right yeah th- those who would uh i mean I, I'm not making an economic argument here. You know, I, I, I'm pretty illiterate when it comes to economics. and um, But to me, uh, to my ear and I, people do need to do a lot more work and, and thinking than they are uh, to form a, a real critique of wealth or of, uh, or of monopoly. Or, and those are worthwhile things to criticize. We need to, or of wealth inequality. Um, uh but they see it seems to be a um it's closer it's closer to just uh an emotional response kind of what you are just describing there than something that's well formed and um uh and maybe i just am ignorant of of um i don't know the, the arguments are out there and blah 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 but i i just mean the um just the average person, like the way we come in, in, into contact with that, and the, the average thinker, uh, d- is is more, um, or writer even, or journalist, uh, is more resentful of the position than. Eh, I don't think I'm quite carrying my point here. I guess, yeah, I I suppose I would. Um, It's I I guess assent and I I agree with what you're saying about about the interesting um, state of the of this dialectic or of uh, the current incarnations of, of virtue of vice a virtue and vice and even um, even of shame it's it's very different it's a very Western uh, goofy mechanism of of shame that we have in our society now with um i mean i, I find cancel culture to be just kind of a uh, inadequate phrase but that's the one we've got um that phenomenon yeah. whatever that is 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 yeah is a is a, a lunge for for purity hmm. yeah definitely i don't know yeah i'm not sure if i have if I have much more to my point beyond that, but it did, it did strike me as there's being some ring of, at the very least, some ring of, of truth to what, to what he's saying, at least in, in how, you know, I see the kind of our, our current social dynamic, but, um, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I don't really know where to take it from there. Yeah. Uh, I, here's a, a question. Um, and I, I think, what do you think in here? Were we kind of nearing the end? We're, we've, we're at three hours, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, probably. But I, yeah, we might, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll probably uh, get some, some good edits in here. But <laughs> the uh, I actually looked up both terms right before I came over here. Um, I'll rephrase. I don't need to reference where I am. A few hours ago, I I looked up both terms because I wanted to see just the dictionary definitions how they're compared. What do you think the relationship is between shame and guilt? The hmm. I mean, I, I suppose Merriam-Webster had it as um, 
it didn't define guilt as an emotion, but just an objective fact of someone's uh, culpability in a crime. There, there wasn't really even um, a de- It was only that noun of you know his his guilt is assured or the verb of to guilt somebody into uh, feeding your dog for the weekend. Uh, yeah. And I, I suppose I, I was thinking about crime and punishment a little bit, and it's funny how we're going to be. Um, I feel like as we do the edits, we're going to be keep connecting back to what we've most recently um, encountered. <laughs> but <laughs> right, um, that that was a guilt. It was it was almost um, that that sort of the, the punishment that uh, Raskolnikov brings on himself. Um, is uh, a knowledge that that uh, that we've that that he transgressed, um, and that shame is that that guilt is very internal. It comes from within, and that shame, I think, broadly and as at least I understand it as presented by Rushdie here, is imposed from without. I mean, but it's 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 huh. it's interesting because. Uh, I mean, you could react and say, well, Sufi Zenobia is, is a very internal um, fire, you know, that, that, but, but really she's, it's internal, but she's, she's the sponge. She's taking everything in. She's taking in all the unrealized shame that's around her and then explodes. So I think it is, she, she is a response um, to the culture. She's the reckoning there. But yeah, what, yeah, do do you think that this is useful at all, or am I just spinning my asshole? No, no, I think it is. Um, and I don't know why. I guess it's because maybe it's because those words may might have been used, might be used interchangeably, maybe by me. Even I don't know, but I I do see that. I guess the difference. Yeah, what I just described. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I think. I think how I use them is probably they're probably synonymous. Um, in terms of how well, which I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. In terms of how Rushdie presents it, I guess I'm trying. I'm trying to think of um, uh, Raza Hyder's shame put onto and and uh, well yeah let, let's say his put onto Sophia is it is it is it that shame is always externally uh or ha- how did you phrase it um imposed from without <clears throat> imposed from without or is it is it that I don't know the family or the culture that Rushdie's describing has the tendency to to externalize that shame to for one to not to own it and to push it on to another okay um, for for the men to push Good. shame that is rightfully theirs to own onto onto uh the women that surround them that's um I, i'm glad you brought that up because i wanted to bring up the the direct address of this by who is it i want to say it's iskander but he he, he states that a man's honor is in his woman. Mm. They thinking the converse would be true as well, of course. 
Shane yeah. is there too. Um, which is, <laughs> to your point, I think you, I think you said it better um, than I just did. That yeah, that it's not accounted for. It, it's not. It's always it's thrown onto a scapegoat, essentially. Yeah. Um, and Sufia could be seen as that. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, he describes yeah. her as the vessel for the unfelt shame. Yes. Uh, and it, directly in, in, in several, at least in one case that I can recall, um, you know, he, he's, I think he says, what happens to shame that isn't felt? Yeah. And, um, uh, I mean, is, 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 <laughs> I want to bring in Jesus here. Um, because I mean, it's literature, so there has to be some Jesus. <laughs> there actually is one point at which I, I read, uh, I think it was Bill Key, one of her inner monologues. It was, she, she couldn't, I think it was when she was writing the, the 500 notes of the announcement of the change of groom at the mm-hmm. wedding said she mm-hmm. couldn't, she couldn't have felt more ashamed if she had been impaled on a tree. And I thought that was like crucifixion. I mean, I, I didn't. I I didn't make that connection. That's. I I mean, I I. But uh, that was the only Jesus that I saw in here, other than Sophia as as the the vector for um she, the, the scapegoat almost for. I mean, sin might be broadening it too much. I think that's that's a little bigger than the idea of shame. But yeah. But um. But yeah, I guess maybe the the way in which it's um Yeah, I think I never mind. I think I'm I'm just uh, reaching a little too much with the Jesus stuff. But maybe going back to the interchangeability or not of or or the 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 difference between guilt and shame. I suppose I would I would I would uh maybe toss this out and say I guess I think of guilt as as something a little more, um, maybe uh, defined or something that's that's uh, it's maybe with regard to a specific act, but shame is more about identity. And, and who you are and it's it, it's cultural it's 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 deeper it's more diffuse than guilt because you uh you wouldn't say um sufia is is feels guilt for being born a woman no she feels shame hmm or it's imposed yeah. on her by by her parents and by the whole society. Yeah, that's 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 a a good point. It's the difference is subtle. Yeah, um, but I think it's there. I don't know. I, I think my, I've probably to. I don't remember if I've talked about this on a recording, but we've talked about it. That I know at least like my. Uh, And maybe maybe for the sake of this, I'm going to use them kind of interchangeably. But um, I find, well, let's say guilt specifically, but maybe even guilt, guilt and shame, uh, to be like in the context of 
like the Christian circles that I've been in throughout my life to find find it to be a little fatiguing. Where we almost tend here we all or in those settings we almost tend to use people almost tend to use guilt uh, as a scapegoat in itself that prevents them from taking any real action that would theoretically uh, reckon with with that guilt or or maybe shame. Uh, you know we we. Uh, That people, you know, tend to lament over the wrong things that they've done uh, and move no further and think that because they feel bad about it, that that's enough. Oh, I, I, uh, this word is overused, but a fetishization almost of guilt itself. Yeah. Uh, I might be, yeah, I might be really reaching it, in, being... but that's the word that came up. Yeah, really what it ends up being is a uh, way to feel like you're doing something valuable, I don't know, morally, and not actually have to invoke any any change that should be inspired by or spurred on by that by that guilt. You know, Can I Can you I guess what I'm going to say to that? Uh, <laughs> my mind is going between something serious and trying to think of a joke. You it's not make. a joke, no. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, I would say that ju- that's just the inherent posture and inadequacy of vicarious redemption, and and Jesus as as a scapegoat is that yes, all your guilt can be placed onto him he he absolves you his his scapegoat sacrifice you it's all your sins are forgiven hmm. that's that's the point there's nothing there's no there's no real reckoning there interesting i'm not quite sure how to respond to that uh, Fair enough. It was kind of a, um, I don't know, an exposed nerve there. It was just kind of a little little tendril. <laughs> I, well, okay. So, I mean, again, I, I well, I, I don't know. I think we would, many would probably argue against that. Well, I would uh, hope so. Like, I would hope that wouldn't be all it took. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fair enough. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's it, it's it's just part of uh, the. I think it's just a pretty simple objection, but one that holds that of of that um, of the Christian solution of salvation as just fatuous in itself. The idea of salvation that mm-hmm. we that we can be um, redeemed by the mere by the punishment of another person, right? Um. You know, I I, th- I think I don't know. At a, at a certain point, I'm trying to argue 
somebody else's point and I'm getting out of and I'm getting out of my depth. Uh, that's I okay. I, to, yeah. If I try to say more. I mean, you know, Yeah, like, I, I want to Yeah, I mean I I could maybe try for the same and argue against myself. Um I, I, uh, but I, I think, but I don't you know, know because I can't. Yeah, what, what would what would the serious Christian? How how would how would uh, the person respond to that? And uh, I don't know. Um, the most recent conversation that I had with a serious Christian, I won't say who it was, and I brought that up. Um, the person did not really have a response just more of i know there is one i know that i you know what i'm saying like i'm i'm i want it um but we just had recourse to the um just the majesty of the bible and, and of that sacrifice as as the ultimate solution right which i reject um i mean it's my understanding that uh Nietzsche's critique of the or at least one of his critiques of the Christian church was that the kind of the Pauline doctrine uh you know heavily um focused on uh on grace um absolved people of obeying the actual commandments that Jesus gives in the gospels or 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 at least the the way they were internalized into the institution of the broader church yeah. did as such and the, um, the 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 even the i suppose even the how i'm taking or even maybe asserting the doctrine of vicarious redemption is worth a look in, yeah. in terms of how that i mean that that's that's how I think about how the institution of, of uh, you know, as broadly as possible, of Christianity understands that theology. I could be incorrect. I think so. Here's maybe how I how I could I could a- attempt to um offer the counter argument to that, and it's probably weak, much weaker than uh than it could be made but at at least from my protestant upbringing um i might pose it like this uh that guilt that that the the guilt we have from original sin and from uh our actual committed sins Okay, um, what uh, I, I I don't know if I accept your distinction. I'm sorry, I wanted to let you finish, but <laughs> maybe <laughs> I maybe I let just that put one that go aside. by. Okay. Right, the guilt the, <laughs> the guilt that we have, uh, um, is when compared with the perfection. Uh, that is God is so is so great that it is disqualifying of us from any from achieving any kind of uh earned innocence or or redemption through 
actions of our own and if and if we grasp the depth and totality of that guilt and uh, and in light of that understand the magnificence and uh extent of uh redemption given to us by uh Christ's sacrifice the only um, possible reaction from a true internalizing of that understanding, or of at least some limited amount of understanding, and the infinite with a finite mind, the only possible response is uh, change and um, acting out righteousness or at least progressively righteous acts so it's a so that's how but this is kind of i think besides besides the point to me because i'm not making a i'm making i was making more of a practical and observed i i guess i uh, no no i think that's adequate enough that (laughs) adequate enough that was kind of redundant that was adequate (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess my point is how like when when I when I brought that up, um, or brought brought all of this up, it was more it wasn't so much of a theological observation than it was just like I've sat in a lot of church groups where people are really strongly feeling their guilt and crying or and slash shame or whatever and crying or uh really lamenting their actions and then do nothing with it. So that is what's kind of fatiguing to me, at least in uh, my experience with uh, guilt and shame in the context of American Christianity, let's say, is that we feel bad, people feel bad, and then they use that as an excuse to not actually invoke any change in their lives. And I think... Guilt and shame are not necessarily... Well, I don't. again, I don't know how to distinguish the two right now because I tend to use them interchangeably, but let's just say guilt. Uh, um, guilt is useful in, indicate, in p- perhaps indicating, if it's, maybe, if it's properly calibrated, indicating to you when you've done something wrong. It's a moral intuition. And at that yeah. point, and at that point, yeah, at that point, the next step is taking action in light of it. Like, yes, uh, and and a lot of times it's used as its own scapegoat in a way to prevent us from taking any meaningful action yeah. in our our lives. I suppose the best, so. uh, if I could maybe offer a charitable interpretation of that, <laughs> I would say that 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 kind uh, that mechanism you described in your experience is is merely um i guess it, 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 at its most charitable a lunge for um uh, connection and a shared um experience of our frailty and the fact that we're born into a losing struggle and that yeah. you know, it's it's attempt to to at 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 love basically that I, cause I think that's what that is 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 recognizing that we're all um in the same boat as it were um yeah 
and yeah, I mean, you you could you could take it and 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 flip it and say that it was a, it was the opposite of that. It was it, you know, it's for for a person, it could be a withdrawal into the self and a um, uh, a bid for attention to, to focus on one's uh, um, inadequacy and and to aggrandize it or aggrandize your your guilt or um, wrongdoing. Um, just to make yourself, I don't know, seem more significant. I think I kind of lost the point, but I, I think uh, the first part holds. Yeah, if you want to be yeah. nice about it. Yeah, for, yeah, th- and that's that's fair. Um, well, I, should we maybe draw this to a close? Before we <laughs> yeah. go too much further. Yeah, we really. We'll we'll see what. Um, yeah, I remember you. You you just you just said uh, you texted me on the on the Brave New World edit, which I'll. Um, I should. Fuck, I do have a lot of fucking school, but I should get to it tomorrow. Um, I gave up okay. one of my shifts so I could <laughs> fucking do it. Um, Dang, yeah. Well, uh, well, no, I that. wasn't. <laughs> I know, that wasn't I know, how it I sounded. Know, but... <laughs> yeah, sorry, that wasn't it's like a, a, a you know, look at me. Sacrifice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm your only hope for the salvation of this podcast. But <laughs> yeah. I. Um, yeah, I should be able to get to it, but just when you texted me, I left in even the trail off bits at the end because I thought it was even uh, useful to see kind of how we're, we're fleshing this out. Yeah, we'll we'll see, I guess, the same thing, how we, what we think about um, kind of these last 30 minutes here. Yeah, I don't want to say, well, I'm not sure where this is going to end up because that's stupid, but um, I'll just say, well, that concludes our discussion of Salman Rushdie's shame. Until next time, I'm Bird. I'm Greg. And we will and see you should read this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely should. It was it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm.